All right, we are live episode three of Business and Buckets. We have a stacked podcast today brought to you by Fueled Supplements. The Business and Buckets podcast is proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. If you're an elite athlete, busy mom on the go, or looking for a perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Fueled Supplements has you covered. Choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. Whether you're trying to run a 4-0, trying to lift over 400 pounds, or you're just looking to enjoy life um, for another 40 years, Fueled Supplements has a variety of products that align with your specific goals. Head to FueledSupplements.com and use my promo code BUCKETS for 20% off. Once again, promo code BUCKETS for 20% off. And I'd like to start the show with that. We do have a stacked podcast, uh, lots to cover. We have the UFC cards that have actually happened this week. We got NFL um, playoff games and divisional previews. We got some Supercross action, so a, a ton to cover. But I, I kind of wanted to touch base on on the subject of sponsors because, you know, for me, I've listened to podcasts. You hear all these sponsorships and me undies and things that you see all over the place. And obviously, I have one sponsor right now, and that is Field Supplements. Again, shout out Field Supplements, Josh Moore and crew. But, you know, when I was putting this out there, obviously, I wanted to have a sponsor. You know, as I continually grow, get that. There's revenue aspects to that, good relationship, business aspects to that as well. But I wanted to choose a company that really was just something that I cared about and actually would want to buy and buy into and then help my user base spread the word of that product or be able to get promotions and benefits from the from those companies as well. So um, I had chose Fueled Supplements, a local Montana-made company. I'm from Montana, love supporting small business. Uh, but it's actually just really great products. I've used their pre-workouts, their recoveries, their proteins, uh, BCAs, you name it. They have multivitamins, Fueled Greens, and it's just really cool to see them grow since I've been in Montana and, and really wanted to support them and have, have them support me, people helping people, business helping people. You know, that's really the niche, mission of the podcast. Uh, but as I grow and, you know, potentially bring on more sponsors, it'd be something that I'm really into and a product that I would actually go and buy myself. And I'm excited to, you know, see where that journey takes me. And if you guys do have, you know... Um, sponsorship recommendations, or you're a sponsor that's, that's looking out to this, a company that would like to sponsor Business of Buckets, you know, feel free to reach out to inquiries uh, via social media or, or handle uh, an email to me as well. You'll see that all over my socials and website. Um, but, you know, that's really what, what I'm looking for within sponsorships. I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but I just wanted to relay that message and how I got hooked up with Fueled Supplements as a sponsor for Business and Buckets. Before I jump into the sports criteria, just a reminder, next week, I'm also launching the first business episode with uh, DJ Akira, Mr. Akira Barrett, who's a fellow colleague of mine and professional DJ so uh, in the Seattle area. So excited to have that. I'll release a little trailer and some tidbits on Akira before we launch that. Uh, but, you know, Awesome Pod was my first business interview, so excited to share the word with that and really help, you know, relay our stories and hopefully give back to the viewers and provide guidance for you know, how to kick gas, take names, do well professionally, and uh, further your professional career. So first off, NFL divisional recap, going to repeat the theme, running game and defense, defense wins championships. So through the parlay that I had, first game that happened, Rams versus Packers, 
I obviously chose the pack. Had a weird feeling the Rams would figure things out pre-playoffs uh, with that number one defense to make things happen. But, you know, Jared Goff being broken, Cooper Cup being hurt, lots of things happening. I was definitely uh, a sighting by the Packers. But we look at the game, digest that a little bit. The biggest statistic that stuck out to me was time of possession. The Packers owned them. I couldn't believe that. Um, over double digits of time of possession on the Rams. The one thing that everyone really wanted to see in that game, Ramsey and Adams, and I love the way that they hyped that up pregame. Adams had went over to... Um, Jalen Ramsey before the game and said, hey, man, like, let's give the people what they want. No offense, but you, you don't play me. We're not in the same division. You know, we don't play often. Shadow me wherever I'm at. Let's give the people what they want. You know, I'm sure that got fans fired up if they saw that. Get your popcorn ready. Um, you know, I, I want to say that the Rams shut out Devontae Adams. He did have um, a decent game and I don't believe Ramsey was on him the whole time, but did cover him most of the time. And I don't think you could ever just shut the guy down, especially with Rodgers back there. I mean, the guy only needs just a very small window of separation to make the, you know, get the job done. So, but I mean, that's a big headline. That's what we all wanted to see. We wanted to see Ramsey at it. We wanted to see Adams at it. But one of the big stories here was um, the run games. I mean, Cam Akers continuing to do well, even though I'm sure he's not 100%. Definitely a, a guy that's going to be on the fantasy radar next year and, and somebody that people need to watch out for. He had 18 carries for 90 yards and a touchdown. Aaron Jones also had 14 carries for 99 yards, one yard away from the century mark and a touchdown. And his better half, Jamal Williams, also had 12 carries for 65 yards. I know that A.J. Dillon got a couple carries. He got rocked uh, in the middle of the game. You know, he's a big, solid running back, so to rock him, huge hit. So props to the defense on that one. Um, I believe it was uh, Troy Reader that, that laid down the boom there. But, um, you know, they, they had a handful of running backs. Um, the flow of the game was um, a little dicey, pretty competitive early. In the second half, I believe the Packers got up two scores, and that's when they really focused on the run game. But it was a pretty evenly called game through the Packers. It's not like they just flooded through the run game um, um, the whole second half. You know, they did mix in play action, did miss, mix in the pass. And I think another uh, big thing here is the Rams' th uh, third down proficiency percentage. I mean, they went two for eight on third down. The guy that they, I, I would typically expect them to go to, Cooper Cup, not being a part of the game, I, I have a feeling that was a huge, a huge aspect of the game and what affected the Rams. But at the same time, uh, you can't depend on one guy. You know, I don't think Goff is fully healthy either, so I'm sure that had had some effects there. But how about that Rodgers pump fake at the goal line, running that in? I mean, the guy's pretty old. He plays in Lambeau. It's cold uh, during the winter. I believe that was a warmer game than what we expect this week. But um, for him to be able to do that, I just feel like he's a kid on the playground. He's whipping things up. Um, you know, Mahomes has a lot of that as well. But for an old vet to be able to do that, you know, he's always just smiling. I could just see that killing morale on the other team when he's just having so much fun. You know, this is what he loves to do, and I feel like he's probably having more fun than I've seen him, um, you know, in the past few years for sure. So uh, that's got to be like a moral killer if you're a defense. Like, man, this kid, this guy's just out here slinging it. He's one of the best. We respect the guy, but he just has a genuine love for the game and is enjoying himself out there. And, hey, I mean, it's hard <laughs> not to – be a fan when you're the number one seed in the NFC. Uh, you represent the Green Bay Packers, that diehard fan base, and you have a man named 
Devonte Adams at your side. So I'm sure that sure that's uh, easy to to make it as fun. But you know the the, the Rams stayed close. They tried to claw, claw their way back. Um, as I felt like the Rams were building some momentum, the Packers had the huge play action pass to Alan Lazard. I mean, I don't know if you could say wide open, but he was damn open. I was able to take that to the house. Uh, that's just another aspect. Like I said, they didn't just continually run the game. They went for the nail in the coffin and probably a good thing they did because the Rams were able to keep up, keep pace, even though they did go two for eight, which is very atrocious on third down. And one of the names that stuck out to me, I just like, man, this guy, you know, all the receivers that the Rams have, you got Robert Woods, you got a couple of different tight ends there. You got Cooper cup. And then there's um, the Van Jefferson guy that everyone's high on that you saw in Hard Knocks this year. But how about Josh Reynolds? I mean, I feel like the guys kind of lays low during the regular season, but during big games and during the playoffs, he shows out. I was very impressed with his play. I feel like he definitely filled the void for Cooper Cup being out in this game. But if you're the Rams, you got the number one defense. You got to be able to pressure Aaron Rodgers. I know uh, Aaron Donald was hurt and wasn't able to do it, but that's just not going to cut it. You got to force the issue. You got to force Aaron Rodgers into turnovers, and that didn't happen. So, I mean, go Pack Go. They handled business. Um, they're they're going to be hosting the divisional NFC champion, or not divisional, but the NFC championship game in Green Bay, in Lambeau. Tough place to play. So, um, you know, not I'm not going to dive into this tremendously, but what a game by the Packers. Um, and props to the Rams for, for fighting and toughing it out. I saw an article that there needs to be some reconciliation between Sean McVay and Jared Goff. How the hell that even happened, I have no idea. Probably because McGay, McVay, McGay, excuse me, McVay uh, has realized that Goff wasn't the guy that he thought. You look at Hard Knocks, they had really good chemistry. He's hyping Goff up all the time. You know, they've already previously been to a Super Bowl. Uh, but the guy's just not good enough. You know, he's, I don't believe he's a franchise quarterback. Uh, you know, hurt or not hurt, he just crumbles under pressure. And I think McVay is starting to realize that. So if those reports are anything true, um, you know, he's probably coming to that realization. But at the same time, they've already signed him to contract. You know, he's already got the repertoire there. But, I mean... Let, let's look look uh, let's call a spade a spade i mean they're in a tough division and, and you're playing against franchise quarterbacks so it'll be interesting to see the future of that team um especially after getting all those first round draft picks up for ramsey and really just going all in uh but the packers are looking pretty pristine at, at this moment and it'll be exciting to see how that nfc championship plays out the next game of the day bills versus ravens Man, I picked the Bills early in the week, I want to say on Tuesday, I put money on a parlay, was feeling good about it. Before the podcast, I recorded my podcast on Tuesday for you guys so I could have them up online every Wednesday, and holy cow, man, uh, I was like looking at the X's and O's, I was like, man, Humphreys and Peters, uh, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters aren't going to let Stephon Diggs beat them, and they did the, you know, Kind of not quite of a, a shit show as the Steelers Browns, but the Ravens just weren't able to perform offensively and weren't able to deliver. So, you know, trying to build my credibility here on the podcast, I feel like taking a chance. It's the NFL playoffs. Go with the more experienced Ravens that aren't just, you know, really reliant on a couple different players. And, you know, it, it, it didn't work out for me. I should have went with my original gut feeling with the Bills, but hey, it was a, it was a good game. Everyone's like, ah, oh, that was a snoozer. I didn't enjoy it that much. 
I love defensive games. That's the NFL playoffs. Like a, like I said, run game and defense, that really makes a difference, and that's not what typically what people like to see through the regular season. They want to see just sma- you know high-scoring football. Everything's a fantasy football, but it's not like that. That's not the, the specifics of it. So uh, it's just really not reality. Once the calendar turns December, things change, uh, and people run championship football. So let's look at the game a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say that the Ravens defense lost the game. You know, they did have some challenges and you got to be able to stop Stefan Diggs, but the offense really did. I mean, obviously Lamar Jackson went out with a concussion, had the whiplash in the end zone, but I mean, if, if Humphrey and Peters can't slow down, um, Stefan Diggs, I don't know how the hell the chiefs are. You know, they have Chartavius Ward, uh, Breland and Fenton, but we'll talk about that matchup later down the road. The big thing here that shocked everybody, I believe, was the missed field goals from Justin Tucker. I mean, if there's a guy that's automatic, this is the guy, and he misses two kicks, uh, you know, hitting the the crossbars, that was pretty crazy, but I mean, it's playoff football, you never know, the wind was kind of swirling, um, you know, I'm a Steeler fan, so I know how Heinz Field is, and Buffalo definitely has some weather action going on, you know, both kickers did end up making field goals throughout that game, so you know, there was definitely some miscues there by the man, the myth, the legend, probably first ballot Hall of Famer, Justin Tucker. But um, make both of those kicks, the game's way different. I mean, even without the the lack of offense that the Ravens were were running, you know, even with Lamar and without Lamar, it's just like they were right in the game. And, and then it felt like they were going to have that momentum sh- uh, shift and switch that they did against the Titans. That, that would take them to victory, and I, I still felt that the whole game, but, but it just didn't happen, and once Lamar went out, it was just pretty much end of story, goodbye, see you next year. Um, how about props to Tyler Huntley, man? Coming out of nowhere, if you're Pac-12 guys, you know, I live in Seattle. I hear about the Pac-12 all the time. I love Utah. I actually like to watch them. It was cool to see him get his chance. Uh, RG3, I don't believe, was healthy. I don't believe they really wanted him in anyways as they had just cut him right after their season. And then they had um, uh, Trace McSorley from Notre Dame who already had a shot. So I don't know if all those guys were hurt and they just put Huntley in. I, I believe that was part of the case as both of them had gotten hurt in previous games. But for him to get an opportunity, you know, biggest position in his life, like, holy cow, what an opportunity. I feel like he did pretty good and delivered. You know, they did move the ball. He had some moments. So that was really cool to see. And, you know, what an experience for that young kid. It'll be interesting to see if he can translate. It's funny looking at the Ravens' depth chart. You got, you know, Lamar Jackson running quarterback. You got RG3, same thing. He lived off of that. Trace McSorley, pretty good running quarterback. And then you got Tyler Huntley. So it's it's like they almost got that same mold so they don't have to change their offense. So I'm not too sure if, if Tyler Huntley is going to be a franchise quarterback by any means, but I hope he does get a shot. It'll be interesting to see if he plays, if, if he can, you know, perform it and potentially get a gig. There's going to be so many open gigs coming up. And I'm not sure if he's still on rookie contract for the next two years or what, uh, but it'll be interesting to see if that boosts his stock at all. Um, the Ravens had the ball for 11 more minutes, but still lost the game. I feel like you don't see a statistic that's that much of an outlier in seeing those specifics. Uh, but, the, you know, that's just what happens. It was a weird stat game overall. The Ravens ran for 150 yards and the Bills ran for 32, uh, with Josh Allen having 37 attempts. So that doesn't ne- necessarily follow my methodology of um, run run game and, and defense as the Bills 
you know, can't run the ball worth the shit. It looks like Zach Moss is going to have uh, season-ending surgery, and Singletary's probably averaging like two and some change uh, per rush the past couple months. So we'll be interesting to see how that plays out for them uh, against the Chiefs. But um, props to Josh Allen, man. You know, I said it's Josh Allen arm and, and Stephon Diggs versus the other team, but they, they kept performing. It wasn't all big chunk plays either. There was a lot of like third down conversions, you know, 15 yards, eight yards, hard scrapped, you know, barely any openings. Uh, Diggs actually taking some hits. So I, I, I was very impressed. I've had the question in my head is, Diggs really a true number one coming out of Minnesota. Looking what he's done in Buffalo, obviously it helps that he has Josh Allen's arm. But I do think he's legit. That game had really proved it against a tough defense. How about John Brown, man? Uh, I believe he'd been hurt the past four or five weeks. You've barely seen him in there, maybe even longer. But he was having toe drag, t- uh, sideline swag. He had third down conversions. He was everywhere when they needed somebody besides Stephon Diggs. So that was cool to see. I, I love John Brown. Loved him in Arizona. Glad he's you know getting healthy at the right time and having an opportunity here because the Bills are definitely going to need that need him if they want to compete against Kansas City. And when I first originally looked at this game, I'm thinking Ravens are going to bring the house. You got to frustrate Josh Allen. You got to get some turnovers going. And the Bills actually brought the blitz. They brought the bam. They, I feel like they were blitzing every time they could. They're bringing the whole D line, bringing their linebackers, and it really affected the the schematics of the Ravens. Um, they had four sacks within that game and, you know, the Ravens were actually able to throw the ball. Hollywood Brown looked good. When we look at, you know, number one, he was a number one draft pick, not a number one draft pick, first round draft pick, but we look at that team and their lack of receive receiving depth. I mean, they still have Des Bryant for God's sakes. He's not throwing up the X. He, I don't even think he had catches the last two playoff games. He's more there for physicality and, and a decoy, but, um, he looked like he could be a potential number one. You know, for me, it was Hollywood Brown's a big play guy, just like Stephon Diggs. I don't know if he can cut it. He's, you know, I believe his rookie year came in soaking wet 165 pounds, but he has gained some muscle. He's got the speed. As long as he can stay healthy, I think he can be that true receiver for the Ravens. And, you know, Antonio Brown is injured for the the Bucks. Obviously, they're cousins, but they do train in the offseason. And one thing we can all agree on, with Antonio Brown is his work ethic and his grit. So if he could continually develop that and have that mentorship from Antonio Brown and, you know, being a part of Harbaugh and the Ravens and working with Lamar Jackson, I believe that he's going to continually improve and we will, he won't be just a short-term success. You know, he could be a franchise guy that the Ravens sign. But when you look at the Ravens defense, that was a story. I was expecting the Ravens defense to win this game. They had two sacks and no turnovers. Again, that's not going to cut it if you want to beat that high-octane offense. And how much a difference the fans made. I mean, not every team can have fans due to state regulations and specifics. Um, as a Steeler fan, they had fans towards the end of the year, but the governor wanted to allow them for playoffs. I feel the teams that actually have fans, it's a huge advantage when they haven't had, you know, they're playing some teams that have fans, but most of the season you're playing without fans, and then you come into playoff football and you have the fans I can't remember the exact amount. I want to say it was like two to 5,000, less than double digits in Buffalo. But it felt like they had a full stadium. Even the announcers were talking about it. The Bills fans were going nuts. They're slapping the chairs. They have signs. I mean, Bills Mafia is crazy. 
I mean, absolutely crazy. We all know, we see the table breaking, all the things that they do festive-wise, but this team hasn't had an opportunity in years and years and years. They haven't, and they were going bonkers. I could only imagine what the tickets cost for that. So the fans that were there, they went hard. Um, I'm sure they had a lot of tailgating experience before the game that led to that, but I feel like they disrupted the game. Um, there was false starts there during third down conversions, obviously the missed field goals. There's just lots of things that they were doing that I just kept getting a sense that the fans really did affect the game, even though there wasn't that many because they were going bonkers. So um, I, I was watching Joe Rogan podcast recently. One of my favorite episodes actually uh, with a uh, professional re- um, wrestler, Jordan Burroughs. And when I say professional wrestler, this isn't WWE. This isn't WWF. This is real wrestling. Uh, the guy was talking about coming from Olympic wrestling into professional wrestling and, and trying to make a name for professional wrestling outside of just going to MMA because he's battled the decision on going to MMA or not. Uh, but he was repping a Bills Mafia jacket. Made me think of that. You know, he's repping them. All, everybody loves Bills Mafia. How can you not root against them? And damn, did they come out and show out for that squad. I, I, I couldn't imagine what Josh Allen and, and teammates are feeling after that and, and the representation that the crowd had. Moving on to the Browns versus Chiefs. Um, Storylines I took away, really, Baker and the Browns probably be here to stay. They they were scrappy. They stayed involved. Uh, they kept it close, and that's more than I expected from them, to be honest. They keep overperforming expectations that I have on them. Obviously, they beat the Steelers. That was just a circumstance of events, just one event after another. But regardless of that game, I was very impressed with their prestige and the way they handled themselves in that game. And we look at the storyline there. Obviously, it's Pat Mahomes. He left with the concussion. Please stop running the ball. Like, not stop running the ball, but quit taking hits. It reminds me a lot of Russell Wilson earlier in his career when he was just rolling out, trying to make plays last longer, taking too many hits, taking some brain damage that's just unnecessary. Um He's expected to play from from what I've seen. He passed his first step on Monday. Uh, he's still in concussion protocol, but he's expected to practice. I mean, the NFL is going to do, and the Chiefs are going to do whatever they can to get that guy to play. But concussions are a little different. If I have an injured leg, an injured arm, I could just tough it up and, and figure out what to do to play. Uh, but when it comes to concussion protocol, you have to pass a protocol, whatever those measures are. And it's not like you can like say, hey, I'm fine, let me play. It's just a standard protocol that you have to pass so we'll see what happens there but I mean (laughs) if old Chad Henney has to play this isn't you know it definitely takes away some of the luster doesn't mean the Chiefs are totally out of the game but I'm not even going to go in the hypotheticals I'm saying Mahomes is going to play he's going to perform um, and that's what we're going to expect Um, through that game though you know they had made the trade deadline acquisition of Le'Veon Bell, and I figured that would come in huge, especially as Edwards Hilaire had a lot of carries. You know, there was injury. He could be injury prone. He ended up getting injured, so I figured Le'Veon Bell would take over. I feel like the guy has had less than 15 carries since he's been on the team, and Daryl Williams was the guy that that handled the backfield in uh, CEH's uh, absence. He averaged six yards per carry at 13 carries for 78 yards. Um, I know Clyde Edwards Hilaire is expected to be back this week. You know, never nothing's for certain, but I would expect him to be be, be playing and probably took the week off just to, to make sure that he's healthy uh, to play the, the winner of the Bills and the Ravens, which is, is now the Bills. But, you know, he did really well. Um, Le'Veon Bell was 
abs, you know, just it didn't even look like he was there. He did have two catches. You know, when he was on the Steelers and when he was performing well, even with the Jets, he was a great receiver out of the backfield. He had two catches for like three yards. I mean, the guy's not creating separation. I don't know if if it's just not a good schematic fit. You have Andy Reid, who is like an offensive guru, so I'd have figured he'd draw something up. But I don't know. Maybe Le'Veon Bell should just focus on his lackluster rapping career because I, I just don't think he's going to be in the league after this uh, very much longer. Big revenge game for Kareem Hunt. We all know what happened with his storyline and his um, personal issues that he had with his tenure in Cleveland. Uh, excuse me, tenure in Kansas City that let the Chiefs get rid of him. And the Browns were one of the only teams that were willing to take a chance on him. Guy's a stud. As a receiver, as a runner, I figured he'd have a lot bigger game in a revenge game. Um, he had 32 yards rushing and two yards receiving with the touchdown. Not a terrible game, but I figured that they would feed the rock to keep the Chiefs' offense off the field and give him and Chubb more opportunities. Chubb, uh, Chubb needed over 120 to keep the Chiefs off the field. I was thinking, and you know, I was thinking maybe even Kareem an extra 80. Well, Nick Chubb had 13 carries for 69 yards. Obviously, Kareem and Chubb got carries, but if you're going to beat the Chiefs, you got to give those guys the ball more. Um, Rashard Higgins was a name I didn't expect to have a big performance. It was kind of like Josh Reynolds for the Rams. He had five catches for 88 yards. He did lose a fumble. Obviously, that's huge. But during third down conversions, uh, during like the tough needed, we need to get some yards to keep the momentum going so we don't get blown out. I feel like he was always there. So, um, you know, shout out Rashard Higgins. Potentially, he earned himself some more playing time next year as well. Um, one of the things that just makes no sense to me, I, I root for Oklahoma. I'm a, you know, I'm from Wyoming, from Montana. Love the Cowboys. Obviously, we had uh, Josh Allen play quarterback there, one of the best years for as a Wyoming fan, and I'm a huge Montana fan. Uh, we'll talk Montana Grizz at the end of this, actually, for a, a short minute, but. I root for Oklahoma and have for since Adrian Peterson. I wanted to root for a team that could win championships, and Oklahoma was there. I saw Adrian Peterson, who's a man amongst men, and was just like, hey, I want to be a Sooner fan. And this was before they had, you know, had Sam Bradford and went to the championship or anything of that, anything like that. But Baker loves tight ends. At, at, in his tenure in Oklahoma, whether it was Mark Andrews or other tight ends, he would always go there. And they got this big contract with Austin Hooper. He had two catches for 16 yards. He hasn't done much all year. If you had him on fantasy, you probably cut him. And you look at that big name on the waiver wire, you didn't even want to pick him up. So I'm just a little curious of what the heck's going on there, why they're not using their tight ends more. Uh, and Joku had a decent game. But I would expect, you know, in those third down plays, in those big time plays, that they would use their tight ends more. So I'm just a little confused of what the schematics are there and why that's not happening, if that's just Baker or the play calling or what. But I feel like you got to use your tight ends more if you're, if you're the Browns and Baker. I mean, we all know how lethal the Chiefs passing game is. Tyreek Hill had eight catches for 110 yards. Travis Kelsey had eight catches for 109 yards and a touchdown. How do you blanket that team? Then you got Hardman, who's also a speedster. There's just so many weapons. Sammy Watkins is uh, potentially coming back next week as well. I mean, the Chiefs are probably the Super Bowl favorites to start this year. They'll be the Super Bowl favorites next year. Uh, as long as you have Tyreek, Kelsey, and Mahomes, and now Clyde's Edwards hilarious together, that's just a tough tandem to slow down on offense. Um, and the Browns' defense isn't amazing. They did have two turnovers. 
uh, on offense, which you can't do that against the Chiefs. You need to have them turn the ball over. Uh, but you can't give up big chunks. That's what the Browns' defense have done all year. That's what I expected in this game, and that's what that's what happened. Looking at those Hill, Kelsey, and other receiver numbers throughout the team, that just was too much for them to overcome. But was pretty impressed with the gutsy performance they had. Again, I would have expected them to run the ball more and go to more uh, give the tight ends more opportunities, but that wasn't the case. Moving on to the prime time matchup. I mean, we look at this matchup. This is an amazing matchup that. You know, I'm not a fan of either team, but this is like a legacy. This is my whole childhood as a child. I watched Breeze. I watched Brady. And now here they are, you know, potentially Breeze's last game. You know, I didn't think they would lose. We'll get into that in a second. But looking at this, you know, he talked about this would probably be his last year. So it's just like so much on the line. You know, both of these guys are past their prime, but still an awesome matchup. It was on Fox. I was hoping it was going to be 4K. It wasn't. A little confused about that, why they would have the game last week on 4K, this one not. Hopefully next week's Packers game that's on Fox's 4K, because uh, that just makes it a way cooler experience. But um, we'll, we'll dive into some Brady and uh, Breeze comparisons um, and, and some st- statistics as Breeze went out. But I just wanted to enjoy the moment, man. This was history. I, I was hoping it would be a good game. It was closer than their divisional games throughout the season. And I was for sure, man, I was for sure the Saints were going to win. I know that Breeze and Michael Thomas aren't 100%, but just the way they had performed throughout the year, the way their defense had smothered the Tampa Bay offense's run game, smothered Brady, pressured him, I didn't think they had a chance. Throughout the start of the game, you saw some big returns. You saw some, you know, drives down the field that ended up in field goals, which really affected the game. But I just felt like even at the start, it seemed like the Saints were going to roll and you know, Brady and his magic, man. He just won't get out of the damn playoffs. He continually wins. And before we talk about Packers Bucks, it's like if he somehow finds a way to win, which they've played the backers already this year and smacked them in week six. But if he finds a way to win, I think we can all agree. Like if it, let's say it's chiefs bucks, I would never pick the bucks, but they're just going to win. I mean, Brady finds a way to win. I don't know. Arians had a quote saying that, New England never let Brady coach. I just let him coach. I let him do his thing. I kind of sit back. And it's like he has this energy that just flows through people knowing what he's accomplished throughout his career, and they perform. So let's look a little bit more on the game. I lost a ton of money on this game, by the way. Um, If you're the Saints, you do what you did before. You stop the damn run. You pressure Brady, and you force things to happen. You force the issue. You make them play the game that they don't want to play. And that's not what happened. It was opposite. The Bucks were pushing the, the, the Saints around a little bit. And I believe Drew Brees had three picks, which, man, I hate to see him go out like that. Um, I, I'm saying 100% that he's going to retire. He said that he wants to think it over. But he's even, you know, foreshadowed that he's uh, going to retire. Um, Phillip Rivers is retiring. He's going to retire. It's just it's, it, they're past due. It, it's time for them to retire. So I fully expect that. But... One of the pieces that you would think would crush it this game is Kamara, who's had good games against the Bucks before. He had a good game, but he only they only gave him 18 carries. He had 85 yards yards on those carries. And, you know, Latavius Murray is not playing. They had Ty Montgomery as a backup running back. But kind of like the Browns, you'd think to beat the Chiefs, you're going to give your best running backs who have proved that they can do well against that team more carries. And I, I've found myself just, you know, super dumbfounded and confused that Towards the end of the game, when it was only a seven-point game, and 
I want to say like probably 10 to 8 minutes left in the game, they're running Ty Montgomery. Like before Ty Montgomery took over at the end of the season when Murray and Kamara were out because uh, Murray was hurt and Kamara had COVID, I totally forgot Ty Montgomery was even in the league anymore. He was supposed to be a special talent uh, when he got signed out of Green Bay. When he was in Green Bay, he was more of a Swiss Army knife, in my opinion. And with the game on the line, you're giving this guy the ball. He didn't do that well. Why the hell are you not continually going to Kamara? That confused me. So some weird play calling. Sean Payton always has kind of a weird schematic and, and play calling, and that usually works out in his favor. But this one just did not make any sense to me. You let them get the momentum back there. And every time the Saints was regaining track because they were playing from behind most of the game, uh, they would lose that momentum. You know, Jared Cook, his big-time fumble, uh, that was probably just the last straw that the Saints had. I mean, that was brutal. As they're moving the ball, they continually move the ball, but they're settling for field goals. They're not They're not capitalizing. I mean, it was just a, a pitiful performance from that team when, when me personally expected a lot more from the Saints. And, you know, no offense, but just like I talked about with Brady, it's they, they probably know it's Breeze's last days. You'd expect those guys to come in and want to deliver for him as well. Um, but really, the the, the freaking Bucks run game performed a lot better. I mean, Leonard Fournette, 17 carries for 63 yards. Also put in five receptions for 44 yards and a touchdown. And then Ronald Jones coming back, he had 13 carries for 62 yards. I mean, over 150 yards as a team. It's just too much to overcome. Nobody would have guessed that Cameron Bright, out of all people, uh, would have led the team in receiving. He only had 50 yards on four catches, uh, but they didn't need to do too much as the, the run game was successful. They had multiple turnovers. Uh, they did settle for a few field goals, but it was too much for the Saints to overcome. Um, I love Cameron Bright, though. I would I'm, I was surprised they didn't trade him. O.J. Howard got hurt. They had multiple tight ends, but that's a, a solid talent that I've always been impressed with, so I'm not surprised he took over there. Um you know, Michael Thomas, obviously he played hurt. We all knew that. I, I assumed that Michael Thomas would have a better performance. Um, but, you know, with without him and Breeze healthy, it, it, it's hard and it's a challenge. But you got to stick to the bread and butter, what had worked previously and what was going to work this time. I feel like they got a little, lot of too, a little too fancy. And they only had one uh, sack in the game. Uh, you got to be able to sack Tom Brady more than that to get the dub. Devin White uh, came back within the game. He had 10 tackles. He was all over the field. Uh, you know, fast middle linebacker like that to be able to get guys like Kamara on the edge. Uh, Traquan Smith had two touchdowns, was one of the better performers for the Saints, which is kind of surprising. Uh, uh, but Devin White was huge uh, in, in that game. Um, if I'm the Saints, you know, where do we go from here? There's rumors that since they've got Jameis, they've signed Taysom Hill, you know, maybe it's a combo of them kind of like, you know, a combo of Breeze and Hill now that will take over next year. But let's be honest, is Jameis Winston a franchise guy? I, I mean, I think we already know where that's going. Taysom Hill, same thing. I just don't ex- see him as a franchise quarterback, and that's going to improve the state of your team that's been consistently in a contending position, and you would assume you'd want to still continue that with the, the young talent that they have. I see that feel like they're going to have to go elsewhere. Uh, whether it's trade, acquisition, or potential f- draft or future draft. Maybe they do r- roll with Jameis and uh, Taysom Hill. Uh, I-, I just don't expect that to happen. So we'll see what- what's next. It's another crossroads uh, uh, team that I see coming into next year. I talked about the crossroads of the Steelers and the, the Seahawks, uh, but I also feel the same way about Sean Payton and the Saints. Um. 
we look at Taysom Hill's stats, if we want to put him as a franchise quarterback, he was 88 for 121 in attempts for 928 yards, four touchdowns, and two picks. So not terrible stats. Obviously, he wasn't starting every game. He started two games in the absence of Breeze. And, you know, they usually use them in, like, trick play packages. They, they'll put them in there. They'll run them a lot. I didn't, you know, capture his running stats here because I, I, I feel like that doesn't show that he's a franchise quarterback. But I, I just still don't see this guy being, you know, the, the, the answer. So um, I just would assume that the Saints go elsewhere. But maybe they run it one year just to see what happens and go from there. Uh, but you wouldn't want to waste all the talent that they have. Um, great defense, a mix of vets, mix of youth. Uh, same with offense. You know, you have young talents. You know, recently signed Alvin Kamara. You got Michael Thomas there still. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Let's look at the legends: Brady versus Breeze. When it comes to statistics, Brady's actually played 14 more games, even though potentially this is Breeze's last season. Brady started starting as a quarterback in 2001, and Breeze in 2002. Obviously. Um, Breeze was drafted in 2000, but, you know, and the, the, more so back then, being a rookie and starting right away just it doesn't happen. Um, Breeze went from San Diego to uh, New Orleans, um, and Brady, you know, wasn't really expected to start as he was a late-round draft pick, but the injury of Drew Bledsoe had put him in a different position, and that's why uh, he was actually able to get more games throughout his tenure than Brady, uh, Breeze. Um, injuries, you know, a part of both people's career. They missed about the same amount of time. Uh, but I thought that was interesting that Brady already has more games. So with that said, let's look at the all-time passing leaderboard. Number one, Drew Breeze with 80,000, 80,358 yards. I mean, when I say this was something that you need to sit back and enjoy because it might be the last time, you know, I don't think Brady's going to retire even if he wins or loses, but he's almost there, right? But th this is stuff that, like, we're so lucky to be living as football fans and watching these guys play. I mean, you talk to people that are older than us, our parents, you know, the Dan Marinos, all uh, the Joe Montanas. I mean, we're talking about the guys that are number one, number two on all-time passing. So Breeze with 80,358 yards. Tom Brady now has 79,204 yards. As long as Brady doesn't retire, he's going to pass that. So Brady's going to have uh, be number one all-time passing. With passes completed, Breeze has 7,142. Brady has 6,778. Again, as long as Brady doesn't retire or come back next year and get immediately injured, I'd assume he passes Breeze there as well. Brady's already leading Drew Brees in uh, total touchdowns. When it comes to passer rating, we have Brees with a 98.7 and Brady with a 97.3. I don't know if Brady can pass him here, so this might be one that Brees does get to keep. But you know, like, some of this has got to be in the back of his head. You know, Brady's still performing. He switched teams. Is that an option for me? Can I do that to compete? Do I stay? What do I do? But unlike Brees... Brady took pay cuts to mold his team, and Breeze continually got paid big chunks. So I just don't see that happening, but I, I don't see him being able to come back, uh, Brady to come back in that pass rating as well. Brady's leading in interceptions, so, I mean, that's good for Breeze. Percentage completion, Drew Breeze has 67.7, and Brady 64. That's going to be hard to come, you know, I, I, 
no offense to Brady, he's in the NFC Championship, but he doesn't have the same arm talent as he did, and you could see it decline year after year. That was the worry about him coming into Tampa Bay. So I would assume that Breeze stays on top there. Uh, Brady's already ahead of Breeze in fourth quarter comebacks. No surprise there. And you look at these, it's just crazy to see that they're pretty much number one, number two. Um, in almost every statistical category as a quarterback. So, you know, enjoy these guys. I'll definitely make some posts on social media about these guys because it's crazy to, to know that as since I've been a kid, we've been able to grow up and watch these guys play, and it's coming to an end. As I mentioned in the previous podcast, it's an interesting playoffs because I really do feel like next year is really just the awakening of so much new things in the NFL, new play calling, new schematics, you know, speed kills, just the way the game's changing, and, and, and new franchise quarterbacks, which is basically the new faces of franchises. So uh, it's going to be an interesting next couple of years, but uh, what a performance uh, by those guys this year. What a career by Drew Brees, unless he does somehow come back. And uh, Brady's still going, and, you know, I keep betting against the goddamn guy, but he keeps winning. So <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens in the future. But we have the championship game set. First game, Bucks versus Packers. Both games are on Sunday as typical. I, I was surprised this one's not primetime. Uh, kind of like the Breeze and Brady. We got Brady versus Rodgers. I don't expect either of these guys to retire if they win or lose this year, but two legends uh, will be going down as the all-time greats. Unlike Breeze and Brady, Rodgers hasn't started you know, since he was a, a young quarterback due to getting mentored and being behind Brett Favre for a few years. Um you could tell he had the talent, though, when Favre didn't play because it was a blowout. Um, they'd put Rodgers in or Favre got hurt. I always said, I think this guy's going to end up being better than him. You know, you could knock me on that. Like, oh, sure, now that you see Rodgers' career, you probably said that. But I just saw the talent even as, you know, as a younger kid at this time. But I was like, damn, this guy can play football. Uh, so I couldn't imagine the numbers that Rodgers would have if he did have the games played that uh, Breeze and Brady does. But like I said... They're playing in Lambeau. There's snow in the forecast. It's going to be a cold one. It's tough to beat teams on the road in big-time playoff games, especially old Brady. You know, he went to t Tampa, has better weather. Uh, he, he likes playing in the domes. I just, the weather's going to be an issue in this game for him, I, I believe. But the run game for both teams is clicking right now, right? We talk about our theme, run game and defense. So we'll see who can perform better there. When it comes to defense, I'm obviously taking the Bucks D over the Packers D. Uh, they're just a better all-around unit. They played Week Six. Don't forget the Bucks dominated as Rodgers threw two picks. They couldn't run the ball. Adams only had 61 yards. They didn't pressure Brady, and Rodgers was sacked five times. It was a home game for Tampa. It wasn't in the cold in Lambeau. Um, you know the Saints beat the shit out of the Bucks twice this year, so. Um, just because that happened didn't mean that the Bucks were automatically going to win. Things changed in the playoffs. Ronald Jones, that game, did have 113 yards and two touchdowns. So if something like that happens, I mean, it's going to be tough for the Packers. And Gronk led the team with 78 yards and a touchdown. So with that past knowledge in mind, the matchups that will mold the game this game, I definitely think it's going to be Adams. I think, uh, you know, biggest game of the season, you put your, put your biggest playmakers in a position to win. I mean, look at... Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, you know, Adams had a, a pretty decent game with 61 yards. The previous matchup, I would assume that would increase. 
They have Sean Murphy Bunting and Carlton Davis guarding him. No offense to those guys. I just don't think they are on the same level. Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, knee injuries. I expect they will play, but not near 100%. So I'd expect Jair Alexander, who is a stud, who has speed, who has length, who has pretty much everything you want in a number one corner to shut down one side of the field. So the only thing I see is them attacking the linebackers in the middle of the field. Um, you know, they have that Gronk and Bright combo. Bright uh, led the team last game. Gronk already had a good game against the Packers. And the Packers have Christian Kirksey, who's new to the team, probably have him to cover middle of the field. He's a speedy linebacker. He's good on the blitz. So that's going to be a huge game for Kirksey to be able to stop them as they already had affected them with the run game and the pass defense. And I'm not sure if Kirksey played or not. I know he's always battled injuries. So, uh, you know, that, that might be something to look into. Uh, but it's going to be an awesome game. The Packers' deep ball and play action is going to have to pop. They're going to have to set the run game first to be able to do so. Open up Adams and squad. I mean, look at that Lazard play action against the Rams. You know, get them lolling in. You got these, you know, MVS. You got uh, Vanta Scandling. You got Lazard. You got um, Robert Tanyan. Those types of guys that can get open. You know, you can get the corner sleeping or get the safeties uh, not doing their job right and take advantage of that. The Packers are a three-point favorite, uh, but I'm taking the pack. Um, I, I just don't think the Bucks are going to perform well on the road in Lambeau. It's hard to bet against Tom Brady, but I just feel like the Packers got the momentum going. Uh, they have multiple running backs. I don't know if A.J. Dillon's hurt or not after that smoking he took last week, but I'd expect them to have a decent run game to open up that play action and pass game. The next game, which is prime time, is the Young Bucks. It's kind of like old versus new, right? We got the old guys, Tom Brady and Rodgers in the morning, and then the new Young Bucks, Mahomes and Josh Allen, who will probably be Breezy, Brady. Not, I, mean, I don't know if you could have put anyone on Brady, but Rodgers, like really high-level quarterbacks and will be known as you know the, the kids that were our age when their kids now will grow up with these guys and have them there for a long time. Um the weather there is supposed to be rainy and warm, so it's not going to be quite of a winter uh, cold game like it will be in Green Bay. Mahomes, like I said, I fully expect him to play. I would be shocked if he didn't. So if you guys are putting money on the line or you're, you're just kind of questioning it, the guy's going to play. The Bills bring the pressure like they did last week. They have to, right? I mean, you got to force the, the, the Chiefs to play ball that they're not expecting to play. Reed's a master with drawing plays up, especially with all those speedy receivers that they have so many options. Um, but coming off a concussion, like you got to pressure the guy. You got to put Mahomes in uncomfortable territory, and I fully expect the Bills to do so. Uh, but when you do that against the Chiefs, you know, you're kind of gambling as you, you do a couple extra blitz. The Chiefs read it. Those receivers get any kind of open field. I don't see anyone from the Bills being able to chase them down. We talked about Diggs not having someone to keep him in check. Um, last week, we felt like I felt like Humphrey and Peters could do the job. Pretty good combo with the Bills to be able to potentially uh, do so uh, against the Chiefs. You got Tredavious White and Josh Norman. Josh Norman isn't as big as he used to be, but he's still a, a top-tier cornerback. And they got to cover Hill, Hardman, and Kelsey. And then you have, we talked about the not-as-good corners for the Chiefs, Ward and Squad covering Diggs. So I expect both to be able to take over. I myself bet the over on both games. I think they'll be higher scoring. 
I just you look at these matchups. I don't see them being able to stop them all. I do feel more confident with Tredavious White and Norman, but I mean, how do you stop Hill Hardman and Kelsey and Watkins if he plays? So, I mean, it's, it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think both teams do get what they want, and whoever turns the ball over one or two times probably lose the game. The Chiefs were 10th-ranked defense uh, this year, and Buffalo 15. So two pretty, you know, middle-of-the-pack defenses. Um, I, I feel like the Chiefs were ranked higher because um, they were able to, to do a lot more on the pressure side of the ball. Um, Buffalo looking good with pressure in the playoffs, but didn't have a lot of that during the regular season. Plus they're on the field a lot because the, the bills don't run the ball and um, they, they pass the ball. So, so damn much. If, if I am, no matter who my team is, it's just a blank slate and I want to have a schematic to beat the chiefs. I mean, we've said this multiple times with Rogers as well. You want to keep them off the field, right? You don't want to give them opportunities. You want to pressure them and force them to play the ball that they can't. So maybe the the Bills, you know, then you can't run the ball. Singletary hasn't run the ball well. You don't have Zach Moss. I think behind them, they have TJ Yeldon, and he hasn't been healthy, so I don't know if he's healthy. So, I mean, they don't have a ton of options at the running game. That's my point. So maybe they do a lot of what the Steelers did this year without their run game until teams started catching on, doing a lot of the quick slant, short slant passes to be able to use that to eat up the clock, right? Just throw it down, give it to your receivers who could potentially be better, especially now that John Brown's healthy. I doubt Cole Beasley's anywhere close to 100%, but he'll play. Use those guys. You know, that's what Cole Beasley's bread and butter, creating separation at the line. Use that to have more of a run game and, you know, try to sprinkle in some runs and do your best, do some screen plays. Um, Singletary hasn't caught the ball well out of the backfield, but maybe give him some wheel routes. I I think that's the only way that they can really do anything. And Diggs can't do everything by himself, so John Brown's got to come in big again. And again, Beasley's not going to be close to 100%, but he's going to have to do something. Um, and they got to be able to convert on third downs or not get themselves in third down conversion uh, uh, positions. But that's going to be hard against the Chiefs. Uh, we'll see what happens. Going to be a fun one. Like I said, I think it's going to be high scoring. I got, I picked the over, uh, but you got to be able to force Josh Allen into into pressure and make him prove that he has the maturity and the wherewithal to not throw the game away. You know, Mahomes has been there before. Uh, you know, I, I bet against the Bills before, uh, against the Ravens last week with you guys when I'm looking at the X's and O's. So, you know, he's he's shown me that I, I don't know everything. It's the NFL. No one knows anything. It's any given Sunday. But Josh Allen hasn't been in a game this big before, right? He's come from Wyoming. So we'll, we'll see how he performs. I mean, you beat the Chiefs with Mahomes and you're in the Super Bowl. That's a big win, obviously. But, I mean, this will put you in some freaking superstar level capacity. It's not in Buffalo. So you won't see the crazy Bills Mafia fans. Kansas City does have fans. They could affect the game. We'll see if they can compete to Bills Mafia. But I would imagine that back home in Buffalo, those people are going nuts. And if Josh Allen finds a way, I don't want to know what's going to happen in Buffalo that night. But there will be no sense of COVID being there. I can guarantee that. If you guys saw the Alabama championship and what it spurred there, you know, there's no social distancing. But I wouldn't imagine that being the case in upper New York. And other NFL news, I mean, there's a lot going on besides the games. Obviously, the games are the forefront and where I want to focus most of my time. But there was a new uh, a report that A.J. Brown <clears throat> potentially was going to be out for the year after week two. 
you know, he'd, he'd been beat up. You look at the guy, he's a beast. And damn, like, he almost was out week two. He had surgery on both of his knees. And he finished with 1,075 yards on 70 catches and 11 touchdowns. That's crazy toughness. That shows you the culture that has been built in Tennessee. You got King Henry. You got A.J. Brown. These two toughs, nose, son of a guns, tough nose defense. You know, they got to improve the defense. It was a little lackluster this year, but it's cool to see that. And if you're a fantasy guy, you got to look at A.J. Brown. If he could do that on two bum knees, what's he going to do when he's healthy in his third year? Um, I mean, I, I just I had her throw that on there because shout out to him. Like, holy shit, what a performance. And to, to be that seriously injured and go that full season like that, mad props to you. Um, I've talked a lot about Breeze, but Rivers retiring as well. I think we got to give him a little shout out. The man has 421 career touchdown passes, which ranks fifth in league history. He had a streak of 240 straight starts, which is only second behind the man, Brett Favre. He had 12 4,000 passing yard seasons and finished his career with 63,440 passing yards yards which is fifth most in nfl history only behind brady breeze manning and Favre. which is funny because you look at the historical draft class of him eli manning and my guy big ben obviously eli manning kind of forced the issue and he got put to the giants won a couple super bowls big ben getting put in one of the better franchises in the league with the pittsburgh steelers been to three super bowls won two and there you got philip rivers who went to the chargers Never won a Super Bowl, never made it to the Super Bowl. Played with the Chargers his whole career, had the one year this year with the Colts. But it's not the lack of talent, right? I, I think it's going to be hard for Phillip Rivers to get into the Hall of Fame without winning a Super Bowl. I mean, he's a shit talker. He's got the sidearm. I mean, he's he's definitely lamented a legacy with me. And even though the Steelers beat him out of the playoffs when he was in Chargers, with the Chargers every year where they were Super Bowl favorites. He even lost to the Steelers this year, even though they were up big the first half towards the end of the season. Like, the guy never could win big-time games to get the, the the big chip. But, I mean, he's got to be borderline Hall of Fame. It's going to be hard for him to get in there. But imagine if he'd been drafted by a better franchise, right? A franchise that put him in a position to win. Uh, he It wasn't the lack of offensive skill around him. I looked up some of the players, right? I knew most of them from mine, but I mean, he had Antonio Gates, definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer. He had Keenan Allen, well, until last year. I mean, Keenan Allen's still on the team. LaDainian Tomlinson, Vincent Jackson. If you guys remember Vincent Jackson, it's like Mike Evans before Mike Evans. Malcolm Floyd, the speedster. He did have T.Y. this year with the Colts. He had Darren Sproles for a while, so he had a lot of weapons. You know, obviously that put him in a position to have these statistics, so... You know, it, it's a tough conversation for him to get into the Hall of Fame, but it's a bummer to see him go out uh, without more accolades. As you look at the statistics that are there, the performances, I mean, he, he performed year in and year out. He had to deal with the franchise move. He was commuting all the way from San Diego to L.A. with his bajillion kids that he has. Um, you know, I don't think you could ever criticize the work ethic, the dedication that he had. Um, you know, he was fun to watch, even though he's talking all that shit. Uh, but you got to give him props. I had to give him a shout out on, on the pod because he's well-deserving now that he's uh, retiring. How about Deshaun Watson, right? 
forcing a trade says he was at a two now he's at an eight he's fed up with the franchise he doesn't want to be like rivers he doesn't want to waste his prime and i i hate the nba to the fact that people can just demand things like the james harden trade which we'll get to here in a minute um and i I don't like that he's forcing his way out but almost like you know do you want to be rivers or do you want to be brady or ben and eli this is the position that he's in he's in his prime he's dealing with shit in the front office that don't listen and we look at potential places because I'm pretty sure he's gone at this point. Where the hell is Deshaun Watson going to go? So I've seen things online. Um, you know, obviously teams that don't have a very good quarterback that are open to a quarterback. Everyone's praying that he goes there. I would love to have him on the Steelers. It's not an option. I just have a gut feeling he's going to end up with old Bill Belichick, the Patriots, and they'll go back to his amazing competition. You know, Brady's got or um, Belichick has this crazy ego where he wants to do better than Brady. And this is a great opportunity for that. I I talked to you guys about Belichick kind of being sketchy and having things going on. I just have a feeling he's going to go there, right? All those opt-outs, all those things that happened. I just wouldn't be surprised if he ended up a Patriot. That's just my guess. I I haven't looked at all the specifics, the calories, uh, salary caps and the positioning for teams. That's just my guess at this point. It just feels like it's going to be a position. I don't see a lot of people talking about it, so it could be a sneaky move that Belichick does because all he is is sneaky. How about some of the new coaches? The Chargers now have their new head coach, Brandon Staley, who was a defensive coordinator for the Rams uh, this year, number one defense. He was an outside linebackers coach for the Broncos in 2019 and a linebackers coach for the Bears 17 and 18, who had a good defense at the time as well. This is one of the more head-scratching hires to me, um, maybe that Rams defensive team and performance got him the job, uh, but he has to go against Mahomes twice. He's got a tough division. I don't know. You know, they hired Anthony Lynn. They gave him a short leash. I thought they should have brought him back. Now they hire Brandon Staley. I just the Chargers are the Chargers. We just talked about Philip Rivers wasting his career there. So we'll see how that turns out. But I thought that was a little bit of a head scratcher. And then we have Atlanta, who hired Arthur Smith who was the offensive coordinator for the Titans in 19 and 20. He was assistant coach for the Titans, including tight ends, offensive line, and quality control, whatever that means, from 2011 to 2018. I mean, this was probably the hottest name, right? We heard this guy all the t- all over the place. He interviewed for five of the seven openings. Um, why he picked the Falcons, though, I'm not too sure. I mean, the Falcons have some cap issues, especially with Matt Ryan and the big chunk against the cap, kind of like... Uh, Big Ben in Pittsburgh. They do have good ownership. Amazing new stadium. right? They're determined to win. They're not far from winning. The Falcons are one of the most interesting teams to me the past few years. They go from a Super Bowl against the um, Patriots. Should have won. They blew it. Next year, we're like a four-win team. The next year, they go to the playoffs, have a winning season. The next year, they're trash. A lot of the personnel didn't change a lot, so... It'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, they have a tough division uh, with the Bucks. You got the Saints. So I'm not too sure why he would want to go there. But hey, I mean, maybe the guy wants to prove himself, feels like he has uh, good enough weapons like Julio Jones. So it'll be interesting to see. But good, I think that's a great hire by Atlanta. I think that'll work out. The Jets hired Robert Sala. 
I mean, this guy's a freaking beast. He's just a machine. You see him on the sidelines in San Francisco. No one's surprised that he's a head coach at this point. He was a defensive coordinator for the 49ers from 2017 to uh, 2020. He was a linebackers coach for Jacksonville in 14 and 16. And he was a defensive quality control coach for the Seahawks in 11 and 13. You look at each of those teams and their defense, they were pretty dominant. And he was an assistant linebackers coach for the Texans in 2009-2010. All the players that I've heard speak on behalf of Sala to say he's the man. They're not surprised. Uh, Sherman really preaches him up, and Sherman's a very high IQ, uh, highly educated man. The problem is it's the Jets. You know, if, if someone's going to turn the Jets around, I would expect it to be this guy. Um, that division is one of the more lackluster divisions, unless the Patriots do get Deshaun Watson, then they're in, they're in trouble. You have the Bills. And the Dolphins, who you know have a lot of question marks going into next year, the ownership hasn't you know confirmed that they want Darnold back. But I would assume that Sala wants to have Darnold. I like Darnold. I would take him on the Steelers in a heartbeat. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think that's a great hire. And then we go to the probably the biggest headline: Urban Meyer going to Jacksonville. Obviously, he is a former head coach for Ohio State through 2012 to 2018. He was in Florida for 2005 to 2010, and Utah 2003 and four, Bowling Green 2001 two. We we you know when we look at Urban Meyer, we compare to the Nick Sabans, all these successful college coaches that go in the NFL and don't fare very well. But to me, I feel like every time this guy's up against adversity, he just weasels his way out. He's done enough with franchises that he has a big name. He could demand the kind of money. The only way in hell he was going to come to the NFL is if he had a franchise quarterback, somebody like Trevor Lawrence, and I think that's why he's taken the Jags job. Um, I don't think the contract details are official, but I know he was asking $12 million a year, which is absurd. I mean, we look at John Gruden, who got 10 That hasn't quite worked out. They haven't you know, even made the playoffs. He completely transformed the team, so I don't know. This is just, I think, a headline higher more than anything. But if Trevor Lawrence is good as he is, you know, he'll make the coach look good. Um, They are in one of the better divisions to improve a team. You know, the Titans are pretty competitive. We talked about the culture there. Houston is a shit show, and so are the Colts now. They don't have a franchise quarterback. Um, Even their backup quarterback's an uh, unrestricted free agent. So we'll see what they do, whether it's draft or trades. Um, But, you know, if Watson does leave that division... Um, now that Rivers is retired, you know, it's a potential place where they can uh, quickly make a playoff position, especially if Trevor Lawrence performs as well as we expect. The Lions just hired Dan Campbell. You know, that's pretty much beneficial. They're waiting for the Saints to uh, be out of the playoffs to make it official. Uh, he was, the last five years, the assistant head coach and tight end coach for the Saints. You know, one of the most consistent franchises throughout that tenure. 11 wins minimum the last four years. Um, he's never been a coordinator in the NFL, but he is viewed, they say, as like a a motivator and someone who could really bring a team together instead of just X's and O's. Um, the Lions have been a shit show. You know, Patricia couldn't figure it out. It'll be interesting to see what kind of qualities they can do. Uh, you know, do they ride with Matt Stafford? Matt Stafford's kind of like Rivers, godly numbers, great performance. I don't believe he's even been in the playoffs once. Pretty positive on that. So we'll see if this guy can turn around. It does seem like a good hire. I don't know as much about him besides he's working with Sean Payton and the Saints, and Sean Payton has nothing but good things to say, so I will abide by that. 
The guy did play 10 years and was an interim coach at one point for the Dolphins going 5-7. and seven. Um, You know, interim positions can be kind of weird, and it is Miami, but uh, it's going to be tough to do that with a pretty tough division as well. You got the Vikings, you got the Packers, so we'll see how that turns out, uh, but it seems like a good hire for the Lions. It's just, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, so we'll see if Campbell and Salah can turn around these pitiful franchises. Next up, UFC. Wow, the UFC is back. It felt like forever with just a couple weeks off coming into 2021. Um, But we get to talk the first card on ABC. I was going to start at the bottom of the card, but we're going to start off from the top. My guy, Max Holloway, looking like Super Sam Goku out there. I always compare him to Goku because, you know, I grew up big Dragon Ball Z fan as a kid and... You know, still still keep up to date with the series, but I mean, the the guy is like a big kid. He's just having fun out there. He genuinely enjoys the sport. Lost back to back to Alexander Volkanovsky. He's out here fighting again against a very you know competitive opponent, and just the things that he did, man, it fires me up. I almost just you know got the energy to 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 go kick someone's ass. But the first thing I noticed is right once he came out, he had different shorts. He had a the slit shorts with the trunks underneath. I knew right away he was going to add some kicks to his game in his arsenal against Cater. He was doing oblique kicks. He was doing calf kicks early, really chopping away at, at Cater. And, you know, props to Cater for being a tough son of a bitch because he took a beating. We're going to talk about the pace that Max had laid down. Here are some crazy numbers that I don't know if we'll ever see be beat. Uh, you say that records are meant to be broken, but... A lot of these Max even beat himself. I mean, it was five rounds. Shouldn't even have been five rounds, but five rounds of total domination. And this is what had transpired. 445 significant strikes. Previous record, 290. I mean, 445. Could you imagine taking 445 significant strikes? Shows the um, you know toughness of Cater. But wow, massively impressive. 744 significant strike attempts, previous record 515. He had 439 distant strikes landed, previous record 281. I mean, these aren't like barely shattered. These are destroying those previous numbers. 274 significant head strikes, uh, previous 244. 117 significant body strikes, previous 92. 141 significant strikes landed in a round. Previous 134, 447 total strikes landed, previous high 361, and 746 total strikes attempted, previous 541. So to give a testament to Calvin Cater on how he was able to handle that damage, I mean, you looked at his body, his purple, the bruise, probably should have been called in the fourth round, if not earlier. Uh, but you also got to give credit to Max's cardio and the capabilities that he had shown in that round to be able to throw those types of, uh, of firepower and have that uh, amount of volume and still finish the fight is massively impressive. I remember in the fourth round when I thought they should have called it and he kept attacking the, the, the body. That was the round that he had the most significant strikes landed in a round of 141. I was just thinking, man, the cardio to do that. If I just sit there and go to town on a punching bag after 30 seconds, I'm exhausted. And he was able to keep that up. So it showed you that he took his training up to another level. Um, but one thing nobody's talking about is his power. 
So Max isn't notoriously a knockout artist. Obviously, uh, Calvin Cater is a very strong individual. You know, he didn't give up. He's resilient. But that made me wonder, does Max have the finishing power? Will this affect him in future fights? You know, we're talking Max right now. Super Saiyan, amazing performance. Nothing to take that away. But where does he go from here? To try to beat Volkanovsky again for the belt? You know, does he go up a weight? You look at some of the, the, the people in the lightweight division and how strong they are. Can he take on the names of Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor, Volkanovsky? I, you know, I'm not too sure without having that power advantage. Because you look at those guys, one thing in common, they do have the power. So save that for a future date. It's just something that was off the top of my mind. But to give Max more credit, the guy is 29 years old. He's not even in his fighting prime. The window for fighting prime is 30 to 32, so he's just entering that. And um, the word is he is now fighting the winner of Volkanovski versus Brian Ortega, which they just officially announced. Brian Ortega, he had previously beat. Ortega did look like he had um, improved over his previous performances, um, such as Max in his last fight. Um, you know, if Ortega can squeeze that out, I think Max can beat him again. And I do think Max can beat Volkanovski as I thought he won the last matchup, but what an amazing fight. What a performance for people that maybe weren't fight fans. Obviously that was a, a, a Saturday early, which there's football and other competing things, but I'm sure people tune into ABC is like, Oh, let me check this UFC thing out. And we're blown away. The card had three first round knockouts. Um, I swear they mixed up the fights from uh, Wednesday's card or they added late fights because I, when I reviewed the card a couple of weeks ago, I swear that it didn't have these names on there and the quality of fights, but it was a stacked card, great performance. Um, you know, I would have paid pay-per-view for that, uh, knowing the card official card before and obviously after uh, it was awesome. And how sweet was the co-main event, um, Condit versus Brown. These are two legends in their weight class. They've been fighting forever. Condit's 36, Brown's 39. You know, I feel like the fight looked like it would have if they would have fought six years ago. Condit's just a little bit better. Uh, both performed very well, showed cardio, showed power. And at that age, I'm massively impressed. If this is Condit's last fight for the UFC, he definitely went out with a bang. Some props to him. Uh, but awesome fight. It was fun to see. You know, when that was first... Uh, when I looked at the card the day of and I saw that that was the last fight before the main card, I was kind of like, why would they have this one? You know, they're way past their primes. I don't think they can perform. And they shut my mouth. They performed. It was awesome to see. Um, you know, hopefully we get to see more of Condit after that performance in the UFC. Uh, Li Jingling, what a legit performance. I gave him no props in the predictions before the card. I forgot about him as he came from the uh, con uh, Contender Series. Uh, but man, Raw has a lot of power, still has a lot of improvement, but nobody's going to want to face this kid. Uh, Santiago Ponzanibio, Ponzanibio obviously was off too long. He showed ring rust, looked hesitant most of the fight, and uh, Li Jingling just came right at him, and I was super imp impressed with that performance. You know, maybe the winner, maybe he can get the winner of Neil and Chiesa, maybe Tyron Woodley. You look at this class, it's kind of out with the old and with the new as the Woodleys and names are, are, are starting to phase out. Uh, but nobody's going to want to face this kid. This is definitely a name that you're going to see and somebody that I want, I'll, I'll love following throughout uh, future cards. Um, Alessio DiCirico, dude, he looked legit. Shut down the full hype train of uh, Joaquin Buckley, uh, who I picked in that fight. So that was one fight I did get wrong. I did pick Condit. I did pick Holloway. I did pick Lee. Um, 
But man, he he just destroyed that man, shut him down. Another first round knockout. That was an awesome performance. Uh, start of the main card was Punahili from the Contender Series, who I've seen before. I didn't realize until I I you know before the fight they were showing the little trailer. Again, another guy who's super raw, has a ton of power. You obviously saw him. He caught Dusko and just was was coming at him the whole first round. Got that finished on the first fight. I thought uh, Todorovic looked very good as well, and I think we'll win his way back up through the ranks. Uh, but both these guys, good young talent who are undefeated, uh, I'm excited to see what they got in, in future fights uh, for them moving forward. I mean, neither of these guys are top t- top 15 in their weight class. Uh, that just shows you how stacked the class is. Uh, but but like I said, I do uh, assume that he'll fight his way back and will be... You know, he was undefeated at the moment, so it's not like he's taking a lot of losses, but you take a loss, you have to take a step back, and I think he'll be back to where he was. Uh, In the prelims, the only fight that I really knew that stuck out was Carlos Felipe, Mr. Cocky and aggressive um, a big boy. He had a decision over Justin Taffa. I didn't catch that fight, um, but, you know, the prelims didn't have a lot of big names. There's so many fights, so many fighters. It's hard for me to know them all, but I, I have seen Felipe fight and wasn't surprised that he took away the decision there. That's who I picked. Um, another uh, early morning card with Neil Magny and Michael Chiesa. I'm taking Magny in a decision. Uh, I've seen both fight. I think it's just going to be a classic Chiesa taking over early with the wrestling, thinking he could take advantage, but I don't think Chiesa's ever been in a big five-round event. The only other main event I know he's been into, he got uh, submitted pretty early. So um, I, I, I think what happens is Magni, just the cardio machine that he is, pushes the pace, is able to take advantage at the end of the fight uh, to win by decision. I think it's going to be high volume, and he's just going to uh, uh, pepper him with his strikes. Uh, but I would assume Chiesa tries to take it to the ground and, and gain control. Uh, but I think he'll that he'll gas out uh, towards the end. And if, if he doesn't, if he can perform there, I mean... Him moving up to this new weight class, you beat a guy like Magny, even though he's eight and Magny's nine, that really leapfrogs you into that upper contention. Like I said, maybe the winner of this, I mean, the winner of this, they, they're experienced, so they might not want to fight Li Jingling, uh, but I feel like that's a, a, a pretty good opponent for them and good for Li that it'll be interesting to see how that division shakes out. Um, on the Magny and on the uh, Chiesa card, you got number nine flyweight Matt Schnell versus Tyson Nam. Flyweights never get a lot of credit. A lot of people don't even pay attention to that division. Uh, but Tyson Nam's got some power behind him on that huge left. Uh, Schnell coming off a first round knockout against Alexandra Pantoja, who lost the title fight last year um, against Demonson Figueredo. So, I mean, he, he's faced tough competition, but I'm going to take Nam. I've seen him knock some dudes out and I think he cleans his clock. He's got two wins in a row. Um, another prelim that sticks out. We got Ricky Simon versus Gaetano Perello. I like Ricky Simon. You look at his last three opponents. He's fought Ray Borg, won in the decision. He fought Rob Font, who's looking amazing recently. He lost in a decision. And then he fought Uriah Faber, who's a legend in the sport. He lost by first-round knockout. Uh, but I expect him to handle business here, and I think he's definitely going to be a guy uh, that fights back through the division as well and is somebody that nobody's really going to want to face. 
Um, I didn't realize this until reviewing the card. Uh, Francisco Figueredo is the champ's brother. Demon Sins Figueredo's brother is fighting Jerome Rivera. I don't know a lot about Jerome Rivera, uh, Rivera, but Francisco looks vicious. I would expect him to handle business in this fight. We got Umar Nurmagomedov versus Sergi Mozov. These are two new UFC guys. Umar's a, he's a Khabib's cousin, right? I mean, he wrestles. He's got the ground and pound. I would imagine him to take him down, take this guy's back, smash him up a little bit. Uh, but he also is known for a, a kickboxing style as well. So it'll be interesting to see how this guy does. Um, like I said, both newcomers to the UFC. Uh, so it'll be fun to see. Just on the name alone, Umar will probably be a big ticket item if he if he gets a couple wins. Um Dana has announced finally that John Jones is going to get the winner of Stipe and Ganu rematch. So that is fantastic. Going to be super excited to check out. Um, I, I got Stipe winning that and Ganu just, you know, he's strictly a striker. He's a great boxer, can clean anyone's lights out real quick. Uh, but I'd imagine Stipe, you know, he we could see the damage that he's taken. We'll probably take him down rough him up a little bit, do some dirty box and get the dub. And then we got Jones versus Stipe. That's going to be amazing. Going to be so much fun. Can't wait to see how that plays out. But the big card that everyone's been waiting for. We got Conor McGregor. We got Dustin Poirier. A rematch in the making. Both Southpaws in their prime. I'm taking Dustin Poirier. I saw the early bets. Everyone's putting all their money on Connor. Connor's, you know, always been prescriptive on how he's going to beat people. He said he'll knock out Dustin with inside 60 seconds. But I want to give you guys some details of why I'm picking against McGregor and why I think Dustin Dustin can do this. The last time I picked against McGregor uh, was Khabib. Obviously, I also had picked McGregor to lose against Chad Mendez back in the day. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll dive into that in a second. But you know, Connor probably the biggest draw in all fighting sports, boxing, mixed martial arts, you name it, in a very long time. You know, his rags to riches, great story, great human being. Uh, when it comes to his story, but I don't like the way that Dana White protects his golden child, and I feel like they put him in winnable matchups. Obviously, he's already uh, won by TKO against Dustin previously, so as this is a big fight and Dustin is vastly improved, I still feel like this is a protective fight for Dana, and if he wins this, um, you know, there's, like I said previously, I don't think it'll be Khabib. They'll probably put him against um, another big name that they think that he can win. Last fight, same time, early 2020, he fought Cowboy, who's way past his prime. I don't think anybody really expected Cowboy to win that. Um, obviously, he attacked with the shoulder strikes, finished him early, messed him up. Um, he debated about going uh, back in, uh, to boxing to fight Pacquiao, which would be a huge payday. It's not really a lose-lose situation for him. It's all about his brand. Like I said, they're trying to protect him. But let's look at Dustin, why I think he's going to win. His only losses since he fought Connor was Michael Johnson shortly after, uh, who Johnson was a stud at the time. A no contest to Eddie Alvarez, which was a knee. He was beating Eddie Alvarez. I don't take that as a loss. And then he lost to Khabib, which I thought he performed better against Khabib than uh, Connor did. Um, but we look at some of his fights. Earlier in 2020, he fought Dan Hooker, which fight of the year candidate one of the best fights i've ever seen in recent memory he's fought khabib he's fought super Saiyan goku max holloway he's fought alvarez gaethje anthony pettis jim miller bobby green joseph duffy you look at those names 
is very high quality. The guy is vastly improved, and I am very impressed with what he's done. Connor fought Dustin Silver after that. He beat him. He was past his prime. He fought Chad Mendez, who Chad Mendez did really well, and I think would have won that fight if he didn't have short notice and actually had uh, the conditioning and cardio for that camp, which a wrestler. Um, he, he obviously destroyed Jose Aldo, which I picked Jose at the time. Um, you know, it is what it is. That's probably his best win. He fought Diaz twice. You know, I was rooting for Diaz, picked Diaz, the, uh, both times he won one, but he wasn't even a top 10 fighter in his class at the time. So, you know, it's not like massive competition. He also fought Eddie Alvarez, destroyed him, fought Khabib and Cowboy, lost to Khabib. So, um, you know, like I said, I just feel like they're really protecting Connor. I think that he hasn't, you know, he's in yachts. He's, he's worried about whiskey. He's got too many things going where Dustin's strictly been focused on fighting, having his kid and, and building a better uh, position for him through fighting. And I think that's going to give him the edge uh, by consistently fighting good competition. He trains with American top team. He's got good people in his corner. He's consistently training with Jorge Masvidal, who's really exploded onto the scene. So I think just that grittiness, the going main round fights, going five rounds is going to benefit him. If he could get past the first two rounds, I think it's a wrap because we've seen Connor gas out towards the second. You know, Connor in the interview says he takes Dustin seriously. You know, he's obviously fought him before. He's seen him propel into stardom, and and he's really focused on cardio and things like that. So maybe it is, maybe he manages it, and I'm just a sore loser for picking against Dustin because I'm not a big Connor fan, just due to the fact the way the UFC treats him. But I'm picking uh, Dustin. I'll put my money on it. Going to win some money. Super excited for this fight. I've been thinking about it for a long time. You know, if it wasn't for it being AFC NFC Championship, I don't think there's much more that I would want to see than this fight. And a great co-main. We got Dan Hooker versus Chandler. Chandler coming from another uh, from Bellator, doing really well, fighting some big names, having some title shots. Dan Hooker losing. You know, a, a pretty close contest to Dustin Poirier. Some people say they thought he won. I didn't. Um, but, you know, he's a tough as nail. He works with uh, um, Adesanya, Izzy, and squad. But I'm going to go with Hooker. He pushed Poirier and has the cardio and power mix to, to push the distance. I haven't personally watched Chandler. I know he's a great wrestler. He was on the Missouri team with Askren, with Tyron Woodley. He competes with those guys. He's going to have to take Hooker down because uh, I don't believe he's going to outstrike him. Hooker's some of the best knees in the games. You could, could catch him like a masvidal Askren situation. Um, he's long-rangey. I just feel like he has a bigger advantage. Um, when it comes to Chandler, the UFC loves welcoming outsiders in and kicking their ass, and this is no slouch, right? I mean, we're talking about Connor. We're talking about Duster, Dustin and, and the stacked lightweight class uh, that there is. Charles Oliveira, Tony Ferguson, Khabib. I just don't think Chandler's at that level. I think he will be a top guy in the division and, you know, will we'll beat a lot of good names. I just don't see this being a very good intro matchup to the UFC for him. Um, but we'll see what happened in his previous title bouts and big names that he's fought in Bellator. Uh, he had fought uh, Benson Henderson, he's knocked him out. Uh, he's uh, one and one with him. And Eddie Alvarez, who both Dustin and Connor fought, as I mentioned previously. Uh, but none of those competitions quite in the same uh, uh, length. We look at Hooker, um, who's really in his prime. Uh, he's beat Paul Felder, who's now in the in the booth and, and took the fight on short notice against uh, Dos Santos. He's fought Ally Quinta, Gilbert Burns, who's fighting Usman soon. 
I, I just think that quality uh, of competition really makes a difference in UFC, and we'll see that in this fight. Going to the next fight, we have Jessica I versus Joanne Calderwood. Two women vets who are past due and have fought a lot of common opponents, so not surprised this fight's happening. I am going to take I. She just seems tougher and a little bit more gritty. Calderwood's, you know, just like a, a very tough individual that'll take a beating and will out cardio you, but I don't think that will be the case with Jessica. Uh, we have another woman's fight, Amanda Ribas, who's very popular right now, versus Marina, uh, Marina Rodriguez. I'm taking Re Rebus. Uh, there was a recent interview that she's talking about going up into two divisions. She's on a five-fight win, uh, five win streak against the likes of Mackenzie Dern and Paige Van Zant, who are some big names. Uh, Rodriguez is coming off a loss and a draw, so definitely looking to gain momentum. If there's a place to put yourself on a map, it's beating Amanda Ribas. We have Brad Tavares versus Antonio Carlos Jr., Brad Tavares hasn't fought since late 2019 because of injuries. He had an ACL tear. Uh, he had two losses in a row. You look at some of the competition, though. I mean, this guy's fought the likes of anybody. He's fought Izzy, Whitaker, Yoel Romero. He's beat Nate Marquardt. You know, he lost to Izzy, Whitaker, and Yoel Romero, but those are very tough guys that were on the way to stardom or in their prime at the time. And I don't know a lot about this Antonio Carlos Jr. guy, to be honest, but picking Brad Tavares in this fight, we got Juliana... Pena versus Sarah McMahon. You know, Pena's been around. She's fought Jessica I, beat her, lost to Shevchenko, beat Kat Zingano, uh, Nico Montano, and Jermaine Duranami. She lost. But very good competition. I think it's another situation where Sarah's just not been on that level, and I don't expect her to be able to uh, take on Pena, who needs to get a win. Uh, you know, they're talking about all the cuts in the UFC. Women don't have quite as much dead weight, but... You know, people like Pena, people like I, or Calderwood, they continue to lose. They could find themselves out of the UFC. Like uh, Paige Van Zandt. Probably get paid to go elsewhere, though, for sure. Uh, we got Khalil Roundtree versus Marcin Pacino. I do like Roundtree. They've talked about his story and fighting, uh, battling personal life and trying to stay in the UFC and struggling with money. I, I like the guy, though. I want to take him on that. And then we got a few weeks of every Saturday all the way through March, fights, fights, fights. So that'll be nice. Get back in that rhythm. And there's a little bit of a, uh, a delay of a couple weeks at the end of March to early April. But super excited for fights to get back in here. We'll dive further. If you guys have fights you want me to digest or fighters' careers that you want me to digest, I would love to. I just don't want to go into you know super long stories on fighting if not a lot of people are wanting me to dive in there. But have a great knowledge base on fighting. Watch almost every single fight card. And those are the fights I'm picking. Um, I post parlays and things that I would do with big cards like this on Business and Buckets Twitter, at Podcast Buckets. So check that out. If you go to my website, I have the Twitter stream on there as well. Switching gears to the hardwood. Back in the NBA. Biggest news. Harden to the Nets. Makes me sick. I mean, obviously Harden's got great talent, but he's, you know, been an issue. Um, you know, he's been on a big three already uh, with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. They lost to the Miami Heat big three and weren't able to take home a title. But if we look at this, you got Kyrie Irving, you got Harden, you got KD. If they're all on the same level, they get their shit together, which they've all been outcast. Uh, most of them have played together. I think this is the best, you know, big three that we've seen since Dwayne Wade, LeBron, and Chris Bosh, I think it's better than KD, Russell Westbrook, and um, Harden, because uh, I'm not a, I like Kyrie over Westbrook. Um, so 
people forget though it takes a while for chemistry um Kyrie's just now getting back um Harden and KD have played together looks like they never missed a beat they haven't even practiced haven't even had like time to build chemistry in a full schedule and they already beat the Bucks who are an Eastern Conference favorite so I'm not saying that it's impossible but I don't think through a seven game series with the chemistry issues and the matchups that they'll go through in playoffs that they're going to come out and win an NBA finals in the first year but if that team does stick together, there isn't a lot of off-court issues. Kyrie Irving actually plays basketball. Uh, this team's going to be hard to beat the next few years and and will be a perennial Eastern Conference favorite. The trade itself, I think, was definitely a win for the Nets, obviously. Uh, Houston gets to rebuild. They got 30 first-round picks. This isn't like the NFL. First-round pick does necessarily isn't going to tra- you know transform your team. Uh, but that's big. They got Levert as well, who I, I like, but is going through some health issues. He's found out he had a, a mass on his kidney, and they're saying, he was even saying like, hey, this trade potentially could say, could have saved my life because he had no idea at the time. Um, so that's good. Uh, they also got Dante Exum and Karukas. You know, Exum, big draft pick from the Utah Jazz, always seems close to getting momentum and being the player that you think he would be and he gets hurt. Uh, but, you know, for Houston, if you got to do it, at least you got something in return. I think that's not a terrible trade. And the Cavs, I don't understand what they're doing. They got more bigs. They now have JaVel McGee, Andre Drummond, C.D. Osman. I mean, Osman's not necessarily a true five, but he's played the five and is a potential five who can shoot. Same with Larry Nance, not a true five, but he's played a five. He can play a five. You have Jarrett Allen and Kevin Love, like, they have to be trading some of these guys at the deadline. You'd think a lot of them are older too. Um, the Raptors, we talked about how big you know it's affected them not having a center. So I'd assume some teams try to take some of this talent away. Uh, and I have no idea what the Cavs are doing. I don't think anyone does. Uh, thankful they should just be thankful LeBron James won him a title at this point. But we'll see what happens. A lot of postponed games. Continually getting updates. Postponed games is going to be a, a hassle. The NBA will power through it. You know they're in a league of their own. Uh, they did the bubble for a reason. There's no going to be no bubble this year, but they'll they'll get past it uh, as long as they do protocols. I want to be sure, be surprised if they did some vaccine stuff here mid season too. So, um, you know, personally, everyone's worried about what well, is the season going to continue. I'm more worried about my fantasy basketball lineups, uh, having people in and out of COVID protocols and issues like that. I'll give you guys a little glimpse of my team. I have two teams. The league scoring is head-to-head in points. They do do bonus points for double-doubles, uh, triple-doubles. Steals are worth more. You miss point, uh, miss shots, you, you get negative points, things like that. Um, both leagues got Nikola Jokic, Donovan Mitchell got to represent. Uh, got Mike Conley, Monte Morris, Dylan Brooks. He's come onto the scene big um, for fantasy. Blake Griffin, been a disappointment this far. Figured he'd get a lot of shots uh, Derek Rose, hot off the bench. He's just never healthy, but consistent points. Patty Mills has been huge for the bench on the Spurs. DeLon Wright, I've always liked him. He's always underwhelming, pretty underwhelming thus far, but he gets the opportunity because he plays in shitty Detroit. Uh, Joe Harris, who's been clutch. The trade with <laughs> Harden kind of, you know, milk some minutes, but they need a shooter. Um, I'm huge on bigs that are consistent. They get double-doubles. You got Nikola uh, Vucevic, Vukovic, however you say that, he's been the man and one of the most underrated guys in fantasy. Uh, my guy Kyle Lowry, Dougie McBuckets, 
Uh, I've recently acquired off waivers. Lou Williams, very underwhelming season. He's been battling injuries as well. Hopefully he gets his shit together. I got Jonas Valenciunas. He's been balling another big, consistent double-doubles. People forget about him. Uh, Lorenzo Dort's been huge. He's been scoring. He's known as a good defender. Been able to shoot threes with the new uh, Thunder team, the young team. Uh, Jeremy Grant got a huge contract from Detroit. That's paid off. I wanted to get him early. I love the Nugget, what he did for the Nuggets. Can't believe they didn't re-sign him and kept Paul Millsap, but hey, it is what it is. I got Keldon Johnson, who I got off the waivers early. If you guys have him on the waivers, huge pickup. My guy Jordan Clarkson, six-year of the man candidate already. Um, he's got the green light, hitting shots, doing well. And then Eric Pascal, another Villanova um, alum who's been doing really well off the bench in the Warriors. I think as the season progresses, we'll get a lot of opportunity. And they're even using him as a backup big, even though he's uh, uh, quite small. But he's physical, scrappy, got a great shot. Just give you a little insight on, on my fantasy team. Thought I'd throw that out there. Um, you got players that I've listed available. Adam now. All right. So just some things around the league. You know, Kyrie coming back. The Nets are going to be a big story everywhere they go. I'm interested to see how they play with Kyrie because I don't believe Kyrie's really done a lot with Harden. He says he's super excited. Harden looks like he's having a blast. Hopefully there's no egotistical things there and they can just play basketball. I would assume they can. That's just the way they are. You know, everyone looks down upon KD for switching teams. You know, they. I've heard so many different things about Kyrie Irving, but hey, he bought bought the house for the family of, of multiple people. I've read a report on, you know, this whole Black Lives Matters movement and, and social injustices, so... I don't know if you could really be that mad out of him. He's doing phil philanthropic things, political things that are helping. So, you know, I don't take too much of a knock, but he's got to play. This is his job. This is what he's signed to do. You could play, do those on your off time. So we'll see what happens. I don't think, you know, there, it's big headlines everywhere on Sports Center, and that's why I can't watch it anymore. I don't really care. The guy can play if the guys get along, which I'm sure they agreed to before they got hard and they'll be okay. <laughs> How about Shake Milton popping off for the Sixers? If he can continue this up, they're looking really good. They're rolling. No one's talking about my jazz, but hey, they're rolling. Let's give them credit. You know, last year they they struggled to be a top-tier team, and in the Western Conference, being a top-three seed makes a huge difference when it comes to playoff seeding and who, who you get matched up to so you don't have to play LeBron and the Lakers and those types of dudes. But, um, you know, they shattered the Hawks. They destroyed the Pelicans last night. Which, you know, they, they've usually struggled against those teams and it's hard for them to um, pull off double-digit wins. They held Trey Young to one of 13 shots made. So defense is legit. Like I said, Jordan, I think probably the front runner for six-man of the year at this point. Conley finally having chemistry again. Second year on the team. People forget it takes time. Him and Donovan are looking good. They have the fourth rated defense thus far in the season. They're second in the standings behind the Lakers one game back. Well, half a game back because they've played one less game than the Lakers. So don't count them out. Um, you know, all the bigs in, in Cleveland. Cleveland's had some postponements, so we haven't seen the new acquisitions all play and who's getting minutes. Uh, but before they did, Andre Drummond with a 33.23 rebound night. Nobody really talks about the Cavs, but you got to give a shout out to that man. Um, I'm still super high on the Mavericks, but they got to get their late game shit figured out. I was watching a few of their games this week. Everyone's talking about Luca being more of a vocal leader now that he's been in the league a little little while. 
But in the game versus the Bucks that I watched, uh, they were winning most of the game, and at the end, they just couldn't quite get shit figured out. Um, Luca was crying when he didn't get the ball or things didn't go his way. You know, Porzingis is back. He was open. They passed him the ball. This was like to tie or win the game, I believe. He shot a three and airballed, and you could just see it affected Luca the rest of the game for the last 30 seconds. But you can't have that if you want to be a leader. You just got to step in, you know, have short term memory and go in and attack. So th- they definitely need some maturity. But if they do click on all cylinders, they could beat anybody. Um, Clippers are gaining momentum. They're looking clean. Paul George is doing his thing. Um, you know, Kawhi, not a lot of people talk because he's not scoring 30, 40 points a night uh, like he has been known to do. But you look at the box score, he's like plus 15. His plus minus is out of control. The what he's doing on the floor, he's doing what he needs to do. I wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, managing his stuff for the regular season. That's the NBA for you. Um <laughs> I was watching Warriors-Lakers the other night. I put some props in on Steph and, and uh, LeBron because I know when they go head-to-head, LeBron still got that mental capacity of losing to the Warriors, and Steph still wants to be alpha even though his team isn't. Um, they were losing with about six minutes left. looked like the Lakers were going to go away. I woke up, and all of a sudden, the Lakers lost. Steph come in clutch at the end of the game, so that's fun to watch. Steph still got that competition going, getting the team rallying behind him. And Boston sneakily in first. Tatum's had COVID. Kemba's back recently. They get Kemba and uh, uh, Tatum and, and squad rolling, getting some chemistry. They're going to be tough to beat. Like I said, they have Peyton Pritchard, who's been very big for them off the bench. They still have Carson Edwards, who they're not even using. They have a lot of depth. Taco Fall hitting shots. So they're going to be a tough uh, out in the East. What's on tap this upcoming week? We got Pacers versus Mavericks. Wednesday, both need momentum. We'll be interested to see how that plays out. I uh, got the Celtics and 76ers on ESPN. You know, that's a potential playoff matchup in the future. Really excited to see how that one plays out. I believe, I don't know if Tatum's going to be back or not, uh, but regardless, will be a great game. Lakers versus Bucks, potential finals look. You know, Bucks being a favorite in the East, they can never seem to really win the big games, though, so we'll see how they manage there. Uh, Celtics versus 76ers, again, on Friday on ESPN, so we get back-to-back matchups. Hopefully Tatum's at least in one of them, if not both. Uh, we got Heats versus Nets on NBA TV on Saturday. Jimmy and uh, Myers Leonard and the, the guys that have been out with COVID should be back, um, and Kyrie Irving should be there, so we'll see how that matches up. I would like to see the Heat culture handle the Nets, but I doubt that'll happen. Too much talent on the Nets. They play again on Monday, so Saturday and Monday. We get two big games in the Eastern Conference, Celtics 76ers, Heats versus Nets. So it'll be a big, you know, superiority momentum shifter to see who's um, big brother, little brother. The teams will want to manage those games. We got the Nuggets versus Mavs on Monday. Nuggets, you know, tough playoff team. Mavs, again, if it's a close game, can they close it out? The Mavericks play the Jazz on Wednesday. Um, Going to love that game. You know, I'm a huge Jazz fan. I love watching Luka, love watching the Mavs. I'm interested to see if my Jazz can continually manage to beat good teams. They beat the uh, Clippers. They beat the Bucks. They beat big-time names. So excited for that one. And the Nuggets also play the Heat that Wednesday. You know, the Nuggets are a little lower in the standings. If I look at the standings right now... They are ninth at seven and seven, so they need to get their momentum going back. So they got big games this week. Definitely need to manage 
find a way to at least split the Mavs and Heat. Um, will be interesting to see how they handle that. I want to do a quick little coverage on what I th- on players I think that are underrated players on their team that really help the team that I think the teams would not be as good as they are without them, but are people that don't always get sports center headlines or really stick out on the, on, on the box score. And where this spurred from was me watching a couple Lakers games this year and how you look at the box score and Marcus all will have 20 points or 20 minutes, two points, four rebounds, three assists, but how much of a difference he makes for them and how much of an improvement he is from what they had last year. So that's the first one, Marcus Gasol. You take him out, they're not as good as a team. I think the Lakers are better than last year with him and Dennis Schroeder and the squad that they put together, but he is a massive um, leader in the locker room. He helps vision. He's a good passer. He's a great uh, defender, a good rebounder. So he's a huge help for that team. And come playoff team, I think we'll see how, how big of an impact he has. Look at him since he's left the Raptors. The Raptors aren't the same. Uh, Marcus Smart for the Celtics. He's been struggling a little bit this year, but he brings so much grit and tenacity on the offensive glass on the defensive side. He makes a huge difference and the Celtics would not be the same, even though they have big names such as Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown. I would say Dinwiddie for the Nets. You know, he got hurt, season-ending injury. But also, I will say Joe Harris. I think those two make a huge difference. I talked about Joe being on my fantasy team. Even with KD, Kyrie, and Harden, he really helps create separation and will get buckets that other teams can't defend because there's literally too much space to cover while he's on the floor. Um, I also think Draymond Green. Um you know, people hate on him and say that the contract and his time was overrated, uh, but I think he is a huge cog with the Warriors. Now they have James Weissman, who's just a little baby. He literally went from playing a couple games in college to now, you know, being in the NBA and playing against the best players in the world. And I think Draymond Green's really going to help bring him up uh, as a consistent defensive player of the year and guy that can get triple doubles and be all over in the box score. So I think he will be a huge help for the Warriors. You know, as it sits right now, the Warriors are seventh in the playoff standings. I would be surprised if they actually do make the playoffs at this point. If they had Clay Thompson, I would put them in right away, but we'll see how that shakes out. Um, I also think another player that really makes a big difference is Malcolm Brogdon to the Pacers. I feel like once they added him, he was leaps and bounds better than what Oladipo provided to the team, which is saying a lot. Because when before Oladipo got hurt, it was a huge difference. But this guy's everywhere doing everything, every statistical category you could think about, offense, defense, and he's consistent and has great shooting percentage. So I think he is an underrated player, even though he is a pretty popular player. I think Aaron Gordon to the Magic. He's been in trade rumors every year, but never does. He brings an athleticism to that team that they don't have. Evan Fournier is a good player. Vukicic is doing really well, shooting as a big. But Aaron Gordon's the guy that really separates and puts the defense on their heels. And another one that's a big name, got a big contract, Tobias Harris for the Sixers. But he does all the dirty work that people don't see, right? Ben Simmons is approving. Uh, he, he's not putting up more shots. But that's why they have Tobias Harris is to do a lot of those things that he can't and Embiid can't down low. But I think he's a very underrated player to take him off the Sixers, completely different team. I wanted the Jazz to sign him at the time, but they got uh, Boyan Bogdanovich for a better cost and I think has been a better player. So not mad about that, but Tobias Harris, huge underrated player for the team. 
I think Mikael Bridges for the Suns, another player, pretty young, still coming on, had a couple big games. Not a lot of people talk about him, though. It's all Devin Booker. It's all Chris Paul. I feel like he's the guy that can lead them into the playoffs. Right now, they're 7-5 and five in the fourth spot. I foresee them, you know, slacking down the standings a bit. But he's a guy that can make a difference, 3 and D, uh, um, really forming into an all-around player. And a guy somewhat similar to him that is a vet is Harrison Barnes for the Kings. Obviously, the Kings aren't in playoff position. They're 5-9 and nine at the bottom of the conference. But I do feel like he brings a lot to that team when you have young guys like De'Aaron Fox. You have um, Buddy Hield. He really helps pull the strings together and is a great guy on both sides of the floor. When it comes to the Spurs, the Spurs are sneakily in fifth. I just looked at this today. I'm actually kind of shocked because I feel like they're not a very high-performing team. Uh, but Jacob Portal and Patty Mills have been huge for them. Uh, Pertle has been all over the place. You know, Aldridge is on a very big decline right now, and I think that he might even start taking over the starting position. But Patty Mills is off the bench doing amazing things, and I know a lot about him because he's on my fantasy team, and I have to insert him in lineups every single day, and I see his points every single day, and I love it. But I think those guys bring a lot of leadership, a lot of grit. That's a common theme with a lot of these under, uh, underrated players is defensive-minded grit attitude, and I think those guys definitely provide that, and that's why Popovich has had him on his team for a long time. And I got to give the Jazz some shout-outs. I'll give my guys Royce O'Neal and George Niang, uh, the minivan, underrated tags. These are the guys that are going to help the Jazz be a top dog in the Western Conference and you know go far. I don't don't think they can win the NBA Finals by any means, but they could go to the Western Conference Finals. And these are the guys that are going to get the job done. 3 and D guys, all-around statistical guys that just have high-energy motors and are willing to take blame, be, you know, criticize whatever they'll still get the job done and perform for their team so those are uh, that's a list of some of my underrated players per team uh, let me know what you guys think if i missed anybody you think i'm just way off on these but that's what i got and i'm sticking to it college basketball again theme more postponed games season's a little bit tough college sports has just been tough this year in general um, right after I gave props to Cody Morjo, uh, shout out Cody Morjo and his Texas team, they ended up losing to Texas Tech. Uh, I think it was the, the night of the, the launch of my pod last week. Uh, McClung was huge uh, for Texas Tech on the comeback. Those are both good teams. Like I said, the Big 12 is a pretty stacked conference this year. Texas will still be where I expect them to be. And Texas Tech is still going to be a team that nobody wants to play. Uh, but I think it'll be okay. It was just kind of funny that I was propping up Texas and they, they took an L right after. Um, looking at the new rankings, it looks more like it should be. When I was uh, earlier, uh, first couple pods, I was talking about you were seeing just some random teams in there that it's like, why the hell are they in there? And, you know, some teams are playing more than others. Some conferences are having more issues than others. Uh, but the one that makes no sense to me is Tennessee. And as I was, you know, preparing to shoot this and writing the script, they're getting blown out by Florida. So, you know, I, I feel pretty confident in that. I highly doubt that they'll be top 20 by the end of the year unless a bunch of teams can't play games. But that makes no sense. They haven't beat anybody. So um, if you're a Tennessee fan, sorry, but they're, they're not going to last. Um, Nova winning big right now. 4K basketball. Love that. I didn't know that was a thing until recently. Um, but they're playing Seton Hall after being out for two weeks. Um, tight game as I'm seeing it right now, but 
if they win tonight, that's huge to be able to come off a layout, no practicing, no conditioning. You have to do your own personal conditioning as a college kid. You're doing things remote. They come out to win uh, against one of the better teams in the Big East. Uh, that'll segue them up a lot because they have a lot less games than the top teams in the conference. Uh, but again, I think they're in that upper echelon that is above the field. And also Baylor. They took care of business against Texas Tech and Kansas. They look consistent. Um, last year I became a big Baylor fan and you guys will laugh at me, but this is why I look at box scores every single night and NBA games after every NBA game, MLB games, NFL games, and big ranked college basketball and college football teams. There's way too many college games to look at them all, but usually top 25. If there's a team that I feel like uh, I'm going to like in the bracket or pick far, I I usually look at their box scores every time they play. And, um, (laughs) You look at their box score, the last names is Butler, Mitchell, and Teague. Looks like an NBA team. Jimmy Butler, Donovan Mitchell. It is literally Jay Butler, D. Mitchell, and M. Teague, Marcus Teague, or Jeff Teague. So I thought that was cool, rooting for them. They've done really well the past two years, uh, and that they beat Texas Tech and Kansas to prove that they're, they're an upper echelon team. I had talked about the rankings earlier and how I thought Minnesota was overrated. You know, hadn't watched them play, so we would see. They had took some L's. Talked all that trash, and they beat Michigan, who I think is an upper echelon team. So that was super funny. Um, I think it was just a bad game for Michigan. Uh, They've been rolling, probably overlooked them. I don't expect Minnesota to be a top-tier team, but they proved that they they could beat top teams. So, you know, maybe they deserve to be in the rankings. We'll see, but I'm still voting them as being overrated. Uh, Creighton lost to Butler. Um, You know, Big East matchup. Watch a lot of Big East basketball. I just think the Blue Jays are overrated anyway, so I'm not too surprised. Uh, They're super high on the rankings, but I I really don't see it a lot from them. Uh, Some of their better players, I feel like, have taken a step back and haven't improved a lot. But we'll see how they perform um, when they play Nova. And I talked about Shaka Smart and the Texas squad again. They they, uh, beat Kansas State this week. And Andrew Jones uh, actually performed and was a leading scorer for the team. reason I bring that up is Shaka Smart was talking about how he thinks he's the best player on the squad. So if he does get going, watch out. Texas could be lethal. couple big-name games next week coming up. We got UConn versus Creighton on Saturday. UConn back to the Big East. They were supposed to play Nova. That got canceled. They haven't played a lot of quality teams. They lost to um, uh, Creighton earlier in the year. UConn did. Uh, so this is a rematch. So we'll see how they can manage that you know UConn's really taken a, a big downfall since they left the Big East so not quite back but it's fun to see them back in the Big East uh, Wisconsin plays Ohio State on Saturday Ohio State's been uh, gaining momentum to stick in the rankings and Wisconsin's you know almost notoriously in the top 25 uh, but this will be a good matchup because both these teams I feel like are you know 15 to 20 ranked and really need to prove a point to stay in the rankings so this will be a big matchup and then Texas Tech versus West Virginia on Monday. And like I said, that Big 12 is a stacked conference, so this will be a great matchup. Can't wait to tune in on that one. Let's go to the hot stove because the stove is finally getting hot. There is finally action happening. I'm so pumped. Like I said, I wish they would change it to a two-week period and we had all the signings happening, but some big contracts that have gone. George Springer tonight got a massive deal from Toronto, and supposedly they're going to try to bring in Michael Brantley, who's a good friend of George Springer. 
you know, poor Astros. They sucked for so long, built a good team from their farm system, built it the right way, got accused. Well, not accused. They got caught cheating. I'm assuming a lot of those players are going to want, want to go out. I wouldn't be surprised if Carlos Correa left. Altuve will probably be a lifer there, but... You know, this Brantley thing doesn't surprise me if he does go to Toronto. Toronto's spending some big bucks, and they don't even have um, actual home because of COVID, and they can't go to Canada. So we'll see how the, the Blue Jays manage that and if they keep trying to sign free agents. Uh, JT Real Muto, top free agent catcher in the MLB, got a huge offer to stay from the Phillies. Uh, that seems imminent. I don't know why he hasn't accepted it. Who knows, maybe he wants to go to the damn Yankees or something. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, I wouldn't want to pay a catcher that much money personally, but hey, all props to him. Sadly, DJ LeMahieu staying with the Yankees. I really want, wanted him to leave. He's just your typical, almost Derek Jeter-esque, just does everything when you expect him to, clean defensively, great bat, has a mix of power, and um, uh, mixes that in with his consistent on-base percentage. Um, you know, Yankees are who they are. They have all the money. They can sign who they want and they got to keep a, a stud in DJ. Uh, the angels finally getting in on a, on, on some pitching. They've signed some offensive players, but finally got a pitcher in Jose Quintana. Who's a consistent innings eater, you know, high three, low four ERA guy. I would expect him to be a huge upgrade uh, to their rotation. So excited about that. He wasn't healthy last year. You know, we've been taking, Eight to ten million dollar one year contract risk with pitchers. They did Matt Harvey. They did Trevor Cahill, who worked out okay. Uh, so I'm hoping that this one actually works out. But um, if you look at his resume, it is uh, pretty consistent. We have the Padres still making moves. I wanted the Angels to get Musgrove. They got Musgrove for five prospects. Just shows how deep that farm system is. They do not care. They're going all in. And if we look at that rotation. We got you, Darvish. We got Musgrove. We got Blake Sm Snell, uh, Lamette, Paddock, and McGin Mackenzie Gore, who probably won't even break the rotation. But this is all without Mike Clevenger, who is out after uh, Tommy John surgery in the offseason. Imagine you put Clevenger in there. This is a nasty rotation, can compete with the best of the best. And you know they're trying to beat the Dodgers. So we'll be fun to watch the Padres. Hey, you know, I'm not a Padres fan. In basketball, I do tend to root for a couple teams because of, you know, favorite players, things of that nature. In baseball, I never have, uh, never have. And there's not a lot of televised baseball games, sadly, with their, they don't have a big TV contract. You know, a lot, a lot of people want to watch baseball, I guess. Um, but I'll be tuning in the Padres as much as I can. They're super fun. I saw a tweet after this trade that the Padres are what the Angels should have been with Trout now that they have this big, you know, badass young prospect well he's not even a prospect any, anymore young superstar in fernando tatis and they're actually building a team around him hopefully the angels can do the same before mike trout retires and competes but this is going to be a fun team you can't hate them it's the padres it's kind of like the astros before they cheated like you can't hate a team that sucks so bad for so long uh the Nationals signed john lester another vet getting a contract Nationals, you know, they'll be there. They won't be a super competitive team, but it's cool to see John Lester still going at it. And Corey Kluber, another guy who performed well after coming off injury in front of scouts, was hoping the Angels would have a shot. He went to the Yankees. The rich get richer. Their rotation is stupid as well, as long as they can stay healthy. 
But the Yankees just do what they want. They get what they want. That's probably why baseball can get a TV contract because there's no salary cap. It's a way old sport with way too many old school rules that should be changed. But anyways, venting session over. Stove is getting hot. Action's happening. Getting ready for the season. So super excited about that. Supercross is back. I told you guys I want to talk about Supercross. I bet you most of you don't even watch it. Potentially, I could sell you guys on it. It's a lot of fun. I have some friends from Montana that are super into dirt bikes, uh, still doing tricks and uh, racing. That got me into it as a kid. It's fun to watch. Obviously, we know Bubba Stewart, James Stewart, who raced for a long time that was super big. Um, but I don't know. It's fun to watch on TV. It's competitive. There's a lot of young talent. It's worldly talent. Best riders in the world. The first race of the year this year. A little bit different. They're doing two races a year. They're only racing in a handful of locations because of a COVID places that can allow that and allow some fans. Um, but Barsha, Justin Barsha, who races uh, for the new Gas Gas Squad, um, has won two first round or first races of the year. So he's shooting for three. He got the win and he wants to prove that he's not a one hit wonder. Super impressed with the race that he had. He held off my guy, Ken Roxon. I mean, he tried to do four or five solid attempts to pass him, but wasn't able to manage it. That race itself with the track, it was hard to pass. So once you were stuck in a position, it was hard to move up the, the leaderboard. Uh, but it was an awesome first race. I talked about Muscan being back and potentially wanting to prove to KTM he's their best rider. He held strong with a third-place finish. Um, Cian Cerullo ended up with fourth uh, on the, the Kawasaki. Um, Stewart got fifth. Uh, Justin Brayton, also Honda, got sixth, and Cooper Webb, the other KTM guy, uh, the champ from two years ago, got ninth. Um, you know, I think that's a big statement for Muscana. I know that he races on KTM with Webb, but to me, it's like, hey, I'm the vet, I'm the guy, I want to show you guys what I can do. Um, some other big names uh, uh, Matt Osborne with a 10th place finish, Dean Wilson, 12. Um, Eli Tomac finished 13th, the reigning champ. Again, he had a bad start, got put in the in the back, and it's hard to move up in this uh, on this track. And Jason Anderson with a 15th place finish, uh, a champion from three years ago. And this was in Houston. We had a second race in Houston. It was a Saturday, Tuesday um, uh, official session. But since I was late to recording this pod, I was able to watch the Tuesday race. Uh, that's kind of what held me up from from recording it, but. Um, well, I guess let me talk about the 250 first. So in the 250, we had Christian Craig, Austin Forkner, and Colt Nichols. Um, Forkner in position to win before. I was impressed with Jet Lawrence, the 17-year-old Honda um, rookie. He finished with six. Another young rookie, Joe Shimoda, who I'm impressed with with Kawasaki, got 15th. But in the second go-round, Jet Lawrence got his win, his first win at age 17. That's amazing. He hit the hole right up, got the hole shot, uh, hit the ground running, and never looked back. Christian Craig finished with third. Shimoda got a fifth-place finish, and Forkner with a sixth. So the updated point standings as of now, we got Craig in first, uh, Nichols in second, Lawrence in third, Forkner, Forkner then Shimoda. Uh, so two Kawasaki guys in the back end and uh, my guy Jet Lawrence, who I predicted potentially win this thing with Ken Roxon in third. Um, we look at our guy Eli Tomac, who, who won last year, passes Tony Dungy all time for 35 wins, which is very impressive. 
I thought that was crazy. Um, you know, Tony Dungy is a vet in the sport. They were tied at 34. He goes to 35. So that's super impressive. Uh, we look at the um, 250 class in the second race. Ferranda, or um, in the 450, Dylan Ferrandez, who moved up and is a rookie in the 450, got second. Battled his way through. There was a couple big wrecks within this class. Chase Sexton, who's also a rookie moving up from 250, had a huge wreck coming out of a dirt or a sand section. Uh, looked like he got you know pretty rocked. I don't think it'll be a you know a, a injury where he's out long. It was just kind of a just a big wreck, get the wind knocked out of you type of thing. Uh, but who knows? Uh, Cooper Webb with an improvement in the second race got a fourth place finish. Ken Roxon right behind in fifth. Webb did pass Roxon. I want to say on the second to last lap. Really pissed me off, but he made it happen. Muscan right behind with a sixth place finish. You know, Webb, Roxon, and Muscan all had slow pace finishes, but unlike the first time around, they were able to storm back and, and almost get on the podium. Um, Brayton from Honda got a third place finish. Mr. Malcolm Stewart got seventh. Anderson eight. Justin Barsha nine. So Barsha keeping up his uh, trajectory as a, a one race wonder, but. Hopefully he can prove people wrong, get another dub before the end of the season. Uh, Matt Osborne got a 10th, Dean Wilson 11th, and Cian Cerullo with a disappointing finish at 12th. So the update in standings in 450 after one weekend and two races down. We got my guy Ken Roxon in first, Justin Barsha second, Dylan Ferrandez third, Muscan fourth, Brayton fifth, Eli Tomac the reigning champ in sixth place, Malcolm Stewart in seventh, Cooper Webb in eighth, Cian Cerullo 9th and Osborne 10. So, not surprised at this too much. Um, you know, if Ferrandez can stay in the top three, I'd be super impressed as a rookie. I would see Barsha falling back a little bit and uh, Muscan and, and Bray and Tomac, Stewart, the big names moving up a little bit. But Muscan still ahead of Webb. will be interesting to see how that KTM uh, and KTM riders fare out. Wanted to touch base here a little bit on hockey. You know, to be honest with you guys, and I'm, I'm not like... With baseball, basketball, football, looking at the box scores, watching all the games, I'm a big Avs fan. I grew up in Wyoming, close to uh, Colorado, and watched them play as I grew up, playing the old NHL games. And, th you know, they haven't been a very good team until of late. Uh, so I'm a little bit more into it. Uh, but so far, the games that I've watched and the things that I've seen, Vegas is looking really good. The Avs and the Blues are looking good. They had a couple of head-to-head -head matchups. Uh, Nathan McKinnon for the Avs is an animal you know, great scorching pace this year. He's already hit his fifth hundred point, only a few years in the leagues. Um, the Kings and Sharks, who've been perennial good teams recently, looking pretty rough. Uh, the Penguins not looking very smooth. Age is getting to them. They might have to blow things up if they can't get things figured out. And then Toronto and Tampa Bay just looking resilient, looking tough. I don't know, you know, if Tampa Bay, anybody's really going to be able to beat them. Um, Pretty impressed with Mr. Travis Constany looking pretty legit. I mean, he's got six points and four goals this far, and it's just the start of the week. But with the start of kicking off of the NHL, I figured I'd, I'd uh, dive further into that and, and touch base on some of that for you guys. But before I leave you with episode three, I do want to talk about my alumni, the Montana Grizz. Article came out that they opted out of the spring season, which is just a bunch of bullshit to me anyways. Uh, Montana State also opted out, so the rest of the Big Sky basically playing scrimmage games before the fall season. Hopefully the fall season happens, coronavirus blows over. I think it's not a big deal to me, but I'm sure the fans are pretty emotional about that. It's a football town, a football college. They want to see some games or at least watch games on TV. Um, 
to me, you know, the Grizz have done it all wrong since I've left college. When I was there, I worked at, at the news station there as a sports reporter. I worked in the equipment room. I worked at the college radio and got to do some stories on a potential move up to the FBS uh, with the likes of Coastal Carolina, who was a new team at the time, App State, and Georgia Southern. And they didn't do it. And the biggest reason why is they said they didn't want to lose their rivalry with Montana State, which if you've been to, I mean, Montana State's been winning more of recent, you know, props to you fucking cat fans. Uh, but you look at the overall record, Montana's dominated it. You look at the Montana's uh, accomplishments, they've dominated compared to uh, Bozeman. Bozeman Stadium looks like more of a high school stadium. Montana can actually support an FBS stadium and, and fan base. I thought that if they moved up at the time, they had momentum coming off multiple undefeated seasons, multiple championship appearances. They could have kept that momentum rolling to get recruiting. You know, the big thing when moving up, you worry about recruiting. Can you compete with the likes? You're, you're playing a lot bigger teams. Probably take some more L's. It's going to take a while to figure things out. But you look at where they're at now. I mean, just, a, you know, multiple head coaches obviously dealt with, this, you know, some of the scandals and issues that have happened during the school enrollments down i mean the momentum of the montana Grizz football team is definitely down last year they rehired their le legendary coach um ha you know improving with bobby hauk i'm interested to see how they do once they actually have a season again uh, but if we look back at the time the l last offer i knew that they had to move up was to go to the Sun Belt in 2014 in 2011 they were nine and two in 2012, they had a coaching change and were five and six. Then they were ten and three, nine and five. So at this time, you had the momentum, you had the capability. And if we look at the performance of the teams that have gone to the Sun Belt just this year alone, Coastal Carolina was a ranked team, had big bowl game opportunities. They finished the season eleven and one. Um, you know that's um, in South Carolina. Um, what's the lake there called? Lake in South. Um, I'm blanking on it. Anyways, they have a beautiful campus. It's a newer school. So obviously they're going to be able to recruit well, but you look at Appalachian state who was another powerhouse in the FCS when Montana was. And when they went up to FBS, they were nine and three had a great team. And you can't tell me that we can't keep up with recruiting with teams like this. They play in Boone, North Carolina. That's honestly a shithole right? Um, the Montana Grizz have improved their facilities. They have a new locker room. They have a new training facility. They have the capabilities to move up. And I'm just so depressed that they haven't because, you know, I was just a huge Grizz fan with the momentum we have. I still am, but we've just lost a lot of that luster. Hopefully Bobby Hawk can bring it up, up back up, but I hope they have a chance to go to the FBS because we see these teams doing these things. Could you imagine if Montana was a ranked top 25 team and had bowl game aspirations and big game opportunities? The city would, well, the town, it's not a city, but I call it a city, that people would go nuts. I would lose my shit. If Montana was just playing in a big, big bowl game, I would be so on cloud nine and ecstatic. But, you know, here we are dealing with, not even a freaking football season this year and losing to Montana State. So that's what you get. That's what you wanted. You wanted Montana State. You can't even beat them. Bobby Hawk, get the job done. Let's get the dubs. That's all I got for you guys today. I know we covered a lot. I'm excited for this Dustin uh, Connor card. Hopefully my pick in Dustin Poirier delivers big time games on Sunday. 
AFC NFC Championship. I've been snowboarding every weekend. Not this weekend. Too much to do. Too much to watch. You know, when it comes to sports, that's my weekly schedule. Outside of work, what sports are on? What am I watching? What am I doing? Please reach out. Thanks again, Cody Morjo. He gave me some things that he wanted to talk about. The Grizz being one. I wasn't even going to bring that up. So glad that he did. Follow my uh, social medias. Respond to my Twitter. If you guys want me to engage with specific content, specific team deep dives, I'm here for you guys. As this grows, looking to have a lot of involvement. That's what keeps me excited. Keeps the momentum going. Uh, but before I leave you, again, the Business and Pod- Buckets podcast is proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. If you're an elite athlete, a busy mom on the go, or looking for the perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Fueled Supplements has you guys covered. Choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. From running 4 4 excuse me, 4 2 4 4.040s or lifting 400 pounds or just enjoying life for another 40 years, Fueled Supplements has a variety of products that align exactly for your specific goals. So head to FueledSupplements.com and use my promo code BUCKETS for 20% off. Again, promo code BUCKETS for 20% off. It's a big discount. It's not 5 it's not 10 it's 20% off. Check them out. You know, it's 2021. We got New Year's resolutions, new goals. I know I'm looking to improve my uh, personal health, especially working from home with uh, all these new routines. Gyms are back opened up, though. I'm using them, and it gave me energy today on their comeback after my workout this morning. So check them out. Thanks again. See you guys next week.